Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Jeremy White and Sneaky Joe DiBiase. What is your order to establish how good the wings are? I'm going to order 10 before I order any more. And the way to find out if they're good is to order 10. Me- medium. Oh, the answer's hot. Sneaky Joe DiBiase. There's more skill involved than creating the sauce with the medium because you're combining more of the butter with the hot sauce. Use hot. I mean, they're going to throw hot sauce in there. Jeremy White. I think the, the words that were just put together. What? There's more skill involved in a medium? Yes. A medium is the 40-yard dash, and the hot is the shuttle or the three-cone. Not WGR. Real ones, no. Sports Radio 550. Hey, good morning. Happy Tuesday. Jeremy White and Sal Capaccio. Sal's in for Joe today. Good morning, Sal. Morning, Jeremy. How are you? Good. It feels, I mean, we talk off the air plenty, but it feels like on the air, long time no talk. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Man, you know, ever since, it really goes back a couple years when the Extra Point show started with Joe and I and me. Um, you know, I don't quite do these shows as much. Every once in a while it happens, but a lot of times it's because you're not here, so I'm in yeah, for you, so right. we don't get a chance to talk. So, you know, uh, not the other way around here. So it's good to talk to you. It's um, it's it's good to be here. And, you know, after a, a weekend where we had some snow and some blowing, uh, you know, it looks like it might be warming up a little bit this week. We had what Baseball just started, uh, pitchers and catchers. So yeah. I'm feeling a little juicy uh, this week after after all that. High of 49 degrees tomorrow. Today it's in the 40s, and I'm looking at yeah. next week we're in the 60s. So we got, you know, sunshine and about 40 on the way today on uh, on this, this Tuesday. So good. Well, clear skies, and that'll be fun. Um, yeah, as you mentioned all that, like I'm thinking maybe I should take some time off. But, hey, whatever. Oh. This is actually, you know, it's funny. It's like a time of year where we're in transition for the Bills especially. But it starts quick. I mean, today is the franchise tag window. Next week is the yeah. combine. And then we're pretty much into the legal tampering period very shortly after that and then on to free agency. So, like, this is going to come fast and furious. And I also expect this to be a – let's tell my wife, you know, trying to as we're trying to figure out when to take time off. Looking at April, I thought, well, April's draft month, and I, I feel like for the Bills this year, it's gonna be it's gonna be an intense month. I mean, we're gonna be locked in on a lot of different ideas, and I, I, I've said it before, Sal, in the last couple of weeks that I feel like this this year's draft for the Bills is the most important, interesting, whatever you want to throw on it in terms of how much people are paying attention. I think it's the biggest one since the Allen draft. People want to really, really see what the options are, what they can do, and think it's as important as any year given. You know, their cap situation and the roster turnover. 
Well, I do think that we've said this before. Like last year, I think we said this a lot because they had so many free agents. But here's the difference. Um, Last year, I mean, this year they have, they're going to have 10 picks. They don't have a 10th officially yet. That's going to be announced by the league uh, soon, you know, compensatory selections as you get closer to the draft. The Bills will have 10. So I think that over the last few years, because of the way that the season has ended, because of, you know, guys getting a little bit older here and there, We've had the same discussion. This is the most important draft. They have to find guys. They have to hit. And all of them are important. But with 10 picks this year and such a – they're higher than – they're over the cap, you know, projected to be more than they have been over the last several years. No doubt Um, this is going to be a really important draft because it's really funny. I don't know when you – I think you were not on one day or you were – I don't know. I don't know if you heard my interview with Evan Lazar of uh, Patriots.com. He covers the Patriots. Really good. Last week we talked, well, Joe was off actually, and I, I really like you know how he broke it down, the Patriots in their dynasty. And like the different iterations is what he said. Like they went through a certain stage and they had to kind of replenish, went through another stage, had to replenish, went through another stage. And all the while they were winning, but they won in different ways. They won with different um, kind of off seasons. They won with different players, different personnel. They always had Brady, of course. That's the, the constant and Belichick. But I feel like that's what the Bills have to do a little bit here, which is to keep up to where they are, to try to beat the Chiefs. And the Chiefs are like this, in a sense. Last year, they were certainly like this. The Bills have to have a different version of themselves over the next several years than they did the last few years. And that's got to start, to me, with getting some younger talent and cheaper labor, if you want to call it that. And you've started your State of the Bills series at our website Quarterback and running back already up. What's the schedule for the rest of the uh, you know the positions as we go? We're going to do wide receiver. Get into that today, and you know I started on that. It's a, it's a longer group, obviously, and there's a lot there's a lot of questions. So digging into that a little bit more, and then we'll do you know tight ends, offensive line. We'll finish up the offense. We'll get to the defense later this week, early next week when the combine starts as well, with a lot going on, but. You know, I always start with quarterbacks, and I think I usually go with running backs next. But honestly, Jeremy, these were the, the two of the easiest positions to do for yep. me. Now, uh, basically, now there are, there are questions, but the, the biggest reason is because neither of them have a question at their starter. Now, running back has been a bit of a more of a question mark over the last few years. Is that, well, should they get somebody instead of Devin Singletary? And who do they have? And are they going to go out and get Derrick Henry? Are they going to go and, you know, draft somebody early? Things like that. We talked about these free agents, but... Not anymore to me. You guys had a great conversation yesterday about running back, so I don't want to necessarily have to rehash all that, no, but I thought it was great because it really fit into the what I was writing about with James Cook, which is, to me, he's clearly the number one running back on this team. Now, even if a fan out there says, well, I don't really like his style, which a few fans said, you know, for him to be a running back one, there is no doubt in my mind at all, Jeremy, that the Buffalo Bills are treating James Cook as running back one for the next couple of years. Yeah, he'll... He is very likely to lead the team in, in rushes this and touches from the running back position this upcoming season. And the kind of guy they get around, the guys they get in the room around him, it'll be interesting. You know, Sales, we get into this and we'll talk. We got plenty coming up today. We got Sabres head coach Don Granado at 8, Paul at 7.30. We'll talk about last night's or yesterday afternoon's Sabres game. So we've got some of that, but, you know, we just kind of found our way to the Bills real quickly. You know, looking at, at, at the first three positions on your state of the Bills, would quarterback and running back, would, would I be wrong to say, it feels like for me, that's a spot where a team in a cap crunch can help themselves. They can decide, we're going to keep that cheap. I mean, quarterback will be an interesting conversation on what to do, 
because there's merit to drafting one. Uh, of course, having that uncertainty at that spot and getting somebody you can count on that's played games before has value, but that mm-hmm. that started to get expensive. I mean, Mitch Trubisky was expensive for the Steelers, right? So if you're a team that's looking to save yep. money like the Bills, I think quarterback and running back are two spots where you really could save a lot of money if, in fact, you want to play it kind of cheap. And I think they almost have to do that, right? It's not even that, yeah, because here's the reason there. Um, Yeah, you want to play it cheap, but you have an ability to do that here. Like, if you take a look at the running back spot, and and this is also why I really kind of thought the two were very similar, which is, you have your number one guy. Now, the only the big difference is obviously you have Josh Allen. He's on this huge cap number. You can restructure that. That's the question. James Cook isn't. Jeremy, the, the Bills have a dream scenario with James Cook on a rookie contract and being fourth in the league in rushing, right? I mean, like, okay, great, let's go. Because the Bills don't want to spend a ton of assets on running backs. They don't want to spend big money on running backs. They don't have to, and they have a really good one, so that's nice. They have a franchise quarterback. That's nice. All right, the question is, what do you do behind them? You don't have to spend to have what really good teams have. excuse me, you can go to, you can basically have vet minimum deals for these guys. Now, quarterback is a little trickier because of what you said. If you want to have a really solid backup who might have some options elsewhere, you're going to have to pay a little. I don't think the Bills need to do that. Necessarily, they want to do that. To me, the quarterback room is going to look like exactly what it looked like last year. Now, the name might change. Kyle Allen could be somebody else. It might be Kyle Allen. But you know what it's going to be? It's going to be Josh Allen. It's going to be a veteran who's not going to cost any money and probably doesn't have a you know a ton of skin in, in the game yet, but he's played a little bit, started maybe here and there. And then they're going to have Sam Buchel, and they already have him. And he's on a rookie contract, and he's only going into his fourth year, and he can be on the practice squad. I think it looks exactly like that, and I don't think the Bills have any interest in making it look any different. Now, that might mean a late-round draft pick. That's fine. Or that might mean someone just like Kyle Allen. But I can't see them spending any more than what it would pay a, a guy like that. Yeah. 803-0550, our number. Plenty to get to on the Bills uh, with regard to the offseason. The franchise tag window opens today for guys like T. Higgins, maybe Legereus Sneed with the Chiefs, uh, basically anybody who's a free agent. We don't expect the Bills to be using their free agency, uh, their franchise tag. I mean, they have a long list of free agents, but there's not really anybody worth keeping on a one-year deal at top five salary. So, um, you know, the Bills have a lot of decisions to make, but franchise tag seems like an easy one. You know, Brandon Bean can go ahead and sleep in today. Not, not even, it's, it's also not the deadline today. It's the opening of the window. They have weeks to decide if they're going to do it. My guess is every player that is going to be franchise tagged has a pretty good idea as the teams can, you know, communicate with, with agents and all that. So that's today and uh, plenty to get to on the Bills. I've got... I've got a wide receiver idea of the day, as you're going to post your wide receiver, uh, State of the Bills wide receiver group coming up today. Uh, have two people have wrote, written in a wide receiver idea, idea of the day about going way up in the draft, which, you know, we can talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got some trivia, stat of the day, all our good stuff. But we're going to get to a phone call here early uh, on the Sabres because Larry's called in. And, well, the Sabres played yesterday, Sal, and I'm sure we'll have plenty to say about their state of affairs as well with their uh, head coach coming up at 8 o'clock. So Larry in South Florida. Larry, good morning. You can, you can lead us off on the Sabres here. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Hey, Sal, it's been a while since we chatted. So, Jeremy, as you know, we've, we talk a lot, and I've talked about um, Granado. I've talked about the GM. Uh, but yesterday was the absolute last straw for me. <laughs> like, you lost to the Ducks for the second time, I think, 
2024, you know, once in Anaheim, now here. So I want to talk about the state of this team, starting with the GM, number one. So for me, you lost Quinn early in the summer, and you knew about it. But we did nothing. We did go get two defensemen, one past his prime, and then one that the Bruins gave up on. So that just that wasn't enough. We talked about that a lot. And then recently we lost Quinn, we lost Samuelson, and we lost um, power basically for the remainder of the year. I know there's a shot they might come back, but it, it, in essence it's you know, for the rest of the year. And there's been nothing done. So I know you got to have the right trade partner, but we have all this equity. We have all this young talent and nothing. And the thing that's the hardest part for me is we've had two number one overalls. We've had power, Darlene. Now we know Darlene is amazing and power looks like he's going to be a really solid NHL player, but the luck of the draft, of course, we don't have a shot at, um, you know, we don't get McDavid. We don't get Bernard. We don't get Austin Matthews. I mean, that's just the luck of the draw. I mean, nothing we can do about yep. that. Not the GM's fault, but we have those two guys. Where's it gotten us? Really nowhere. We have Eichel Reinhardt with number two overalls. Well, we trade Eichel. Two years later, he's hoisting the cup. We trade Reinhardt. Two years later, he's in the cup finals. But my favorite one is what happened with Ryan O'Reilly. He's a fantastic player. And after a short amount of time in Buffalo, the guy says he lost his love for hockey. We then trade him to St. Louis. Very next season, wins the cup. But the best part is he's the cup final MVP. So I think the trouble, even though I, I'm super thankful for the Pagoulas, for Keith signing, the, I mean, uh, buying the team and keeping them in Buffalo, what I'm not thankful for is what their hockey decisions have been and who is making the decisions. Because this team only in 13 years has had a small sniff at the playoffs, and that was last year. And with all the talent we have had in the NHL, when half the teams make it, how do you not get in the top eight in your conference at least once in 13 years? Gentlemen, I I don't understand what it's going to take for them to pull the trigger, like how long it took to get rid of um, Kruger and then Housley. And I think it's more than a coach. I think it's the GM, it's a coach, and it's whoever is making the hockey decisions is where the big problem lies. So I'd love to get your thoughts. And I'd love to get T. Hickens. <laughs> I know we talked about it, but I know it's not going to happen. But, man, I'd love that. Thanks, Larry. A lot, lot there. On, on T. Higgins, we'll get to that a little bit later. He's likely to be franchise tagged. I was listening earlier to the Locked on NFL scouting podcast. Joe Marino, Kyle Krabs do a podcast. And they, they were talking about wide receiver targets, who might land where. And I listened the whole time waiting to hear anybody of the Bills because, you know, it's going to be – a little bit of bargain shopping, and the name Darnell Mooney came out, and there's one other that I've... Oh, DJ Chark was the other one as an idea for the Bills. So if you're thinking receivers and free agency, you know, as we just went through the quarterbacks and running backs, you're going to have to go down to the, the bottom and get kind of cheap. On the Sabres, I, you know, Larry, there's, there's been a million opportunities to have it be the last straw. And I, I'm not the kind of person that makes a game where they obviously should have won by a lot as the last straw. I mean, they had colossal mistakes in their own zone, Eric Johnson, top of the list, and Lukanen probably should have made a couple saves. They dominated the game. They were the better team, and they lose. And unfortunately in hockey, Sal, you know how this works. 
when you're at the bottom of the standings and you have a game where you play like you should have won but don't, there's not really an excuse. I almost look like I almost look at it like yesterday's game was the uh, karma for the Minnesota game where they maybe did not deserve <laughs> to come out with a win, but they did. L- long like what's the big picture of yesterday? I don't know. It's just it's water under the bridge. I- I'm not more upset about yesterday. The thing I found most interesting about yesterday's loss was the post game. What Don Granado had to say, and we'll talk to him about it at eight o'clock when he ran through all the things that have gone wrong for them and how they are getting better in areas that they've targeted. So, okay, they they feel like they are getting better at areas that they've targeted, and the cost has been they don't score anymore. He said that's all going to come back. Granado believes that, they, that their fundamental, whatever, foundational stuff that they are putting in is going to make them better long-term, and that's a question I'm going to ask him today. Do you believe things are going in the right direction? Because... He laid out, we are better at X, Y, Z, and the thing we were great at before is going to come back because we know we can do that. We've seen these guys score. Everybody, just about everybody, is having a bad year scoring the puck. And I think Granado is of the belief that they are doing work foundationally and that it will turn around next year because you know I would imagine he's here next year. I'd imagine Kevin Adams is here next year if you're – Larry, if you're looking for big changes, I don't know who makes those changes because Kevin Adams is in charge of the hockey team, and I don't know if Terry Pagulas have of a mind to, to fire him. I don't think so. I think this operation is going to keep going and that the people running it really, truly believe this is a bad year and that they will turn it around. Well, one of the questions Larry brought up was, or one of the ways he phrased it, he says, not Adams, it's not Granados, the people making hockey decisions. I, I don't have any reason to believe anybody other than them is making hockey decisions. I, I don't think that Terry Bagula is you know, telling them exactly who to sign, not to sign, and making hockey decisions. I mean, there's going to be a budget of some sort, right? But I don't think this team has operated at least the last year or so like they have this incredibly insane low budget. They've gone out and spent contracts on their players that they have faith in and believe in, and they're younger. And that's the way they've operated. And you could definitely argue, well, maybe they shouldn't have given Tage or Dylan Cousins or Matias Samuelson, especially with the injuries. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. No, th- that's a separate argument. But I, 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 I don't think, Larry, that like anybody other than them is making the hockey decisions. I think Kevin Adams has a lot of reign to do what he needs to do or feels like he needs to do for this team. Um, I'm not as sure as you, Jeremy, on that that. Don Granato is going to be behind the bench next year. Now, I don't think any change will come before the offseason. And I don't even know. I mean, I agree with you that it's probably less likely than more likely. But I do think that there's going to be an evaluation there, which when I hear Don Granato talk about that, I'm thinking, but will you be the guy that's going to be able to steer the ship when it does come back? As he says, it's going to come back. He is, as Joe has pointed out many times, you guys have. He is now the head coach of the Sabres longer than any of these other head coaches have been during the drought which is wild to me because I don't, I don't view him as like some long-term coach. Maybe that's also an indictment and a statement on how much they've turned over coaches, obviously, you know, before him. Yeah. I, it, it reminds me a little bit as you're sitting there and laying it out, Jeremy, it's funny. It reminds me a little bit of why can't the bills throw deep and get explosive plays. That's who they've been. It's got to come back. You have Josh Allen. It's got to come back. The difference is obviously they've had some changeover in personnel, but not a ton. John Brown is gone. Cole Beasley's gone. You know, Emmanuel Sanders, you can have some guys in and out. They've done that. But it's the same thing it reminds me of, which is the Bills have 
a certain you know uh, identity that they've used to win a lot of games for a few years, and suddenly it's just vanished. And where is it? And it never came back last year. And it was actually to their detriment as they went down the stretch, and they could have used it because obviously we saw in the playoffs that was something that held them back by not making a couple of those downfield plays. So I know it's not a one-for-one one example, yeah. but for him to say it's going to come back, it doesn't, it doesn't have to come back. Why is it? And I do think part of the reason it hasn't happened is because of the style that he has changed a bit, which he has openly talked about, which is try to be a little bit more responsible in your de- your defensive zone. I get it. That's what coaches say. That's what you want to do, and you got to do that. These guys are highly skilled. They'll put seven pucks in the back of your net every night if you're not doing that. But it feels to me like something has to be tied in there with that particular approach and them not scoring as much. Yeah, it's tough. I mean... <laughs> I, I don't know what to do about Middlestat. I don't know what the Sabres should do about their long-term build, how much we are all shaken about what their core is, because a year ago at this time, things looked to be definitely going in the right direction, and a lot of the good faith had been restored between the, the, the fans and the team, and a lot of that has been damaged this year. The, the, the thing I'd say about like hockey decisions, I would not even worry about who's making the hockey decisions. I'd worry about what caliber of decision they're able to make, and by that I mean... I don't think the Sabres are playing with a full deck in free agency, and I don't think they're playing with a full deck in the trade market. I don't think they're playing with a full deck when it comes to hiring coaches. I don't know that this organization has the credibility to get a guy like if Gerard Gallant or Bruce Boudreau was going to be available, would they take this job? You've got a free agent on the market. Why would he take the phone call here? You've seen like the, the point about Reinhardt and Eichel and O'Reilly and the guys that have left. To me, the, one of the bigger points is these guys are respected around the league. And if they are asked about this franchise, what do they say? You have it, it's not a secret, you know. You've got guys that have come here, whether it's Alex Tuck who grew up as a fan, or younger players that get drafted and signed, and you know they're treated well. So they haven't been through a, a lot of the losing. They don't feel horrible about this place. But if you are a player and entering free agency, and you know any one of those three or four or five, add more names to the list, and you say, so what? What do you think about Buffalo? What's the operation up there? They might not have bad things to say about the city or the fans, but the organization, I mean, I, I think that they've done incredible damage to the reputation of the organization, and overcoming that is going to take winning. Last year, they did a lot for that just to get competitive, but I don't. there's a free agent on the market. I don't think you can get them. Nameless, faceless free agents. Look who they signed, Connor Clifton and Eric Johnson. You could say that they did that because... They identified these guys as bottom six. Those might be the only calls they were able to get. Who's who's in free agency? A young, exciting player that's going to sign here long term. If you wanted to trade for Jacob Chikrin, he's got a no trade clause. Is he going to tell you to buzz off? Timo Meyer, right? The Devils traded for him and signed him. If you traded for him, would he have signed? There's plenty of reason to wonder if the Buffalo Sabers are operating on the same level as all these other teams. It's it's almost like a team that has financial restrictions placed on them by a league for breaking the rules, right? Say, like, you have a certain number of, of scholarships that you can have because your team broke rules, and you just don't have the same freedom that you used to have. So, to me, that's the biggest hurdle to overcome. If they keep signing no free agents and trades aren't made with guys with no trade clauses, I, to me, that's writing on the wall to say, you can't compete with other teams to get these players. Sabers and NCAA sanctions. That's where we are right now. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, right. No, it's a great, it's a great comparison. While this is, and 
I know I'm going to sound like old man yelling at clouds. I get it because, like, come on, no, the players should have this freedom. But it's one of the reasons I hate all the no-movement clause and no-trade clauses that are allowed in this league for all these guys that sign. Okay, well, five teams, and you put these lists together. It also is chicken and egg, Jeremy, because while all you say is is right and probably correct, they're also not good. So anytime you have a chance to get a player, like, why would I go there? They're not going to be winning. I want a chance to win something, right? So there's it's a non-starter even yeah. because these players, it's not even necessarily going to an organization where they may have heard that it's not great to be at. Maybe they've heard it's a great organization, but why would I go to that team and that's right there in the standings? No, my no-movement clause, my no-trade clause, I'm not putting them on my list of teams that I'm allowed to go to. So it is a really, really tough, tough cycle, which is why, by the way, Back in 2013 and 14, the team did what they did to get to the bottom because remember what the talk was. If you can't trade for him, you can't sign him, what do you do? You draft him, yeah. and they have to come here. Yep. And that's why they did what they did. And I have no interest in doing anything like that again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, you know, people have prospect fatigue, so it, it would, it'd be tough. 803-0550. Thanks, Larry. That's our, our phone number. Eight zero three zero five fifty. You know, you want on the Sabres, you can give us a ring. We'll talk plenty of Sabres today. We'll pl- talk plenty of Bills. We've got Don Granado coming up at 8 o'clock, Paul Hamilton at 7.30. Wide receiver idea of the day. Bills-related trivia. State of, the, state of the team, quarterback, running back. Some wide receiver juicy rumors out there. Brandon Ayuk's trade apparently getting uh, more and more juice. So maybe he gets moved. Plenty to get to on this uh, Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us. Joe's out today. Sal Capaccio is in with me, Jeremy White, Josh Schmidt, producing. Fire a phone call our way. What do you like about you know quarterback, receiver, running back for the Bills in this offseason? And uh, if you want to share your thought on the Sabres, we'll have it. I feel like we've we've very much crossed this, the, the, the space of screaming about them just to kind of sit here and say, like, you know, it is, it is what it is. And <laughs> multiple times I've come in and said, like, anybody got any ideas on, on what to do? Trade deadline, the next, uh, the next big date, I guess. You can join us, 803-0550 on WGR. Penalty coming up to Anaheim. Delay call, Yoki. Hurry, shot, scores! Zach Benson! Number nine with the deflection ties the game at three. One of your Firth moments of the game for the moments in life go forth to Firth. Sabres fall to the Ducks, 4-3. That game at 12.30 afternoon face-off. They were up early, in total control of the game, and somehow found themselves down and lost to the Ducks. So swept by the Ducks on the season. And meanwhile, in the NHL standings, Detroit did win. So um, if anybody is you know holding out hope, looking at the standings, looking at wildcard standings, it got even bleaker, where the eighth place team is 64 points, and here the Sabres had 52, 12 points back with 27 to play. Jeremy White, Sal Capaccio, sells in for Joe today. Good morning. You can give us a call on the Sabres if you'd like. We've got some Bills and NFL stuff coming up as well. And, uh, yeah, we're just hanging out on a Tuesday. You can join us if you'd like to. So, Sal's got a piece up on our website, State of the Running Back, also up at State of the Quarterback, and today... Sal, so, as far as I'm concerned, today's the big one, wide receiver. Let's go. You know, you know I'm, I'm locked in for this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are more locked in on what the future holds. And now, obviously, this is more about what is currently on the roster, what yeah. they have to do with the current players, who's under contract, who isn't. But, yes, there's the overall point of how you need to attack it. So uh, just a bit of a preview here. Let's talk about it here, and we can get more into it. But under contract, the Bills have 
actually four, five, six, seven, eight wide receivers. Four of them were on the practice squad last year. Isabella, Tyrell Shavers, Brian Thompson, and K.J. Hamler. Actually, he wasn't in the practice squad. They signed him to a reserve contract, which, by the way, Jeremy, is a sneaky move. This is a, a, bit, a bit of a – let me tell you why I think this is a clue, K.J. Hamler, in a second. But then you have Stefan Diggs, Khalil Shakir, Deontay Hardy, and Justin Shorter under contract. The guys whose contracts are expiring, Gabe Davis and Trent Sherfield. Two guys I want to talk about real quick. Number one, K.J. Hamler. K.J. Hamler was a second-round pick of the Denver Broncos just a few years ago. It didn't work out in Denver. He went somewhere else. I can't remember. i got to look. It didn't work out there. It just hasn't hit. He's been hurt the a Bills lot. At the, yeah, the Bills at the end of the year, they just suddenly one day, K.J. Hamler has signed a future reserves contract. That name, I'm like, wait a minute. That's Crazy. A guy like that you don't normally see three years after being drafted in the second round signing a futures contract. Obviously, he's trying to get back in the league, show he's healthy. But to me, it's a clue for the Bills that they are going to turn over whatever stone they can to find guys, like you said, you know, it's got, you got to go down the barrel a little bit. You cannot pay a lot of money here. And to try to find guys who maybe might be able to hit, who have explosiveness, who have speed, who they're not going to have to spend a lot of assets for. I think you're going to get a bit of that this year. I think KJ Hamler is the first one. Whoever the other ones are, I don't know, but I think that's what you get. It was a bit of Deontay Hardy last year, although they probably paid him a little bit more than people would expect if you look at that contract. But I think you're going to see that. I think that was the first clue that they're going to try and do that. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott talked about explosive plays and player acquisition, and I think that's number one. Number two, we've talked a lot about this guy, but did you see Gabe Davis's Instagram post? No, no, I did not. It's just a, a lot of really cool highlights and memories of him being in Buffalo. That's the best way I can describe it. It looks like a goodbye. It does not say I'm leaving. It does not say I'm staying. But I think anybody who watches that gets the feeling of he's basically thanking people for his time here. Yeah. And he didn't say goodbye. Nothing like that. But it's a it's it's really good. It's it's nice. I watched it. Um and you know, it's really cool. A lot of great memories and highlights, but it's one of those things that it, you know. <clears throat> It reminded me of a tribute video yeah. that you give a player when he comes back to your team for a night or a game or something. But it's a little bit longer than that, of course. It's quite a bit longer than that. But I think a lot of people are feeling like he is basically saying goodbye. I don't think it has to be that way. I think maybe this is what people do sometimes, not knowing what their situation might be. Yeah. 803 Davis has the highest snap count of any Bills free agent that's set to leave. He's their biggest piece in some ways. That's going to leave, and that's with Micah Hyde, who's also high up on the list. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Plenty of bills chatter coming up. We got some calls on the Sabers though, so let's let's you know burn through a couple here. Jason in Lockport. Jason, good morning. Thanks for calling. Good morning. How you doing? Very good. Yeah, I think the Sabers need a new head coach and a new GM. We're getting rid of everybody, and and as soon as we get rid of them, they're winning cups. Jack Eichel, uh, Sam Reinhardt, Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah, well, I <laughs> I don't know. I I don't have much faith that they're going to hire, fire a GM, fire the coach. The coach's extension has not started yet. That's worth pointing out. And, you know, I'm not one to sit here and fret at the idea of firing coaches too quickly. I mean, Don Granato is the sixth longest tenured coach in the NHL. And Kevin Adams has been the GM for quite some time. He was the GM for Kruger's first year. So... You know, I, 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 these guys have definitely had enough time to turn things around. But the question is, are they about to change course? Uh, I just don't even know who would make that decision. I don't, I don't even think that the owner would do that. You know, if you had a president of hockey ops, that's who normally would fire a GM. And the GM would fire a coach. 
I've got plenty of indications that the players are very high on the coach. And again, this kind of gets to let's make a comparison here, Sal. Right or wrong, some people want Sean McDermott fired, right? If they were to fire Sean McDermott, I don't have any doubt they could get one of the best coaches on the market. They could go big fishing for a head coach if they fired Sean McDermott because they're a franchise that wins, they have a healthy fan base, they have a franchise quarterback, they have there's there's no longer, I don't think, any sort of oh you don't want to play for the Buffalo Bills. I don't think that exists anymore. Whereas before the coaches they would have hired would have been, you know, I'll do respect Chan Gailey, Dick Gerano, a bunch of retreads. If they wanted Ben Johnson in this offseason cycle, I think they might get him. The Sabres are on the other end of the spectrum. I don't, if you fire Don Granado, look at the last few coaches the Sabres have hired. They went from Dan Bilesma, former cup winner who, you know, hasn't coached since, to Phil Housley, an assistant that played for them. And then it's Ralph Kruger, a man outside of the, the world of hockey, to take another crack at it. And then it's a guy that was on Ralph's staff. They didn't go out and look for, they didn't have a coaching search. Don got the job on an interim basis and then earned the job on a full-time basis. I don't think there's any reason to think that they would go out and have a phone call or have dinner with Gerard Gallant and Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, the other names are out there. Jay Woodcroft. Like I, I just don't think they have the chops to pull those guys down, and other teams would, would – those coaches would just wait for another job. And same is true of GM or president of hockey ops. I don't, I don't have a lot of faith that they could even pull anybody that they wanted to. So with that in mind, I mean, you might want to fire the coach or the GM, but if ownership knows – they can't get in a room with some of the bigger, more credible people. I wouldn't expect to change. Well, first of all, I think Jason was using his call a friend line when he called the WGR <laughs> studios here. Somebody was in the background giving him the Ryan O'Reilly. It's all right, Jason. It's early in the morning. No, no big deal there. Um, if the now we have a clue on how it works in Buffalo, and this is how it works. Um, we know how it works in Buffalo because of something Brandon Bean said, actually. But this is how it works pretty much everywhere. But we know this now because Brandon Bean was basically asked at the end of the Bills season, like, if there was ever going to be some sort of coaching change, how would that work? And Brandon Bean said, I report to Terry Pagula and Sean McDermott reports to Terry Pagula separately. If there's ever anything like that, like Terry Pagula would make that call. That's what happens. This, the, the GM is not going to fire the coach here. Kevin Adams isn't firing Don Granado. He may, in some capacity, have to be involved. I wouldn't doubt that. There's a conversation always, but... Ownership makes the call, but that's not unique. That's the way it works in almost everywhere. You're right, Jeremy, though. The difference here is they don't have a president of hockey operations. And people, hey, I'll be one to tell you, go do it, right? You have never done it. Maybe you need someone who does something like that. But that's how it works in Buffalo and pretty much everywhere. The owner makes the call. The GM doesn't wind up doing that. And I don't believe, and I agree with you, that right now it's not seeming like it's something that ownership wants to do here considering you know all the changes they've been through. The fact that they have a new stadium coming in football and all the other things that are happening on both sides here. Um, if the Sabres were to do it, though, let's go back to what you just said. You're right. Paul has said this, and he's right. If Don Granada got fired today, you know who the new head coach is? Seth Appert. It's going to be Seth Appert. Yep. I mean, it, it, I don't know if he gets the job full-time, but I don't know if anybody else, unless, what, are you prying Rod Brindamore away? That's the only name I can keep th- coming up with that maybe you can get that guy because of his relationship with Kevin Adams, but you're right. After everything you just said and the names you laid out, the next one would be Seth Apper. That's yeah. what's going to happen, basically. And it's worth pointing out, like, I, I think back to this, somebody actually wrote in that this reminds me of the time in the Bills drought where they overpaid for Mario Williams. And <laughs> so I'll self-report here, Sal, something I was very wrong about. When Mario Williams was a free agent, 
I said, I think the Bills have a better chance of winning the Super Bowl than they do signing Mario Williams. And the reason was, I couldn't even have ever imagined that the top free agent would come to the Buffalo Bills. Now, he did. Money is money, and he did, and he was a very good player. So it's worth pointing out that we could be wrong about all this, and the Sabres could just impress somebody and sign a big free agent or make a splash. But the the parallel to me is very clear. That's where I feel like the Sabres are, where I don't think there's any chance they could sign the best free agent on the market. And I don't think there's any chance that the player that wants, like the Jack Eichel that wants to be traded and wants to go somewhere and start a, start anew, I don't think there's any chance that player would come to the Buffalo Sabres. So, you know, it's just you kind of aren't dealing with the full deck. You've got to draft and develop. But you also have to make cagey trades, and that's tough to do when you might not have all the trade partners to operate with. It's just a tough spot. They're just in a, the reality is I think they're in a really tough spot. And this season was yeah. the season to kind of finish the job of just getting out of the grave, and it looks like they've fallen further back in. Just to touch on one more thing from Jason, Sam Reinhardt has not won a cup yet. Maybe he does this year. He is having a heck of a season. The holy cow, Jeremy! Yeah, he's about to second score, in the league gonna, overall in goals. He's going to score fifty. He's leading. Do you know what? Do you know what the power play goal like? The league leaders are in power play goals. Do you have you looked at this at all? I'm pretty sure he has more power play goals than the Sabers, or or he, at least he did last week or two weeks ago. He has. He is running away with the power play goal, like scoring title, if that's a thing you want to call it. 22. The next closest is Austin Matthews with 14. Yeah. He has like a third more of the goals, essentially. More than that. Yeah. Mark and Kenmore, quick before the break. Hey, Mark. <coughs> Mark, Hello? Go ahead, Mark. You're on. Oh, yes. Hi. Um, I firmly, you sort of echoed my sentiments of 100%. I do believe Kevin Adams and the Buffalo um, Sabres really could only constitute their team now only through the draft. Trades are hardly an option anymore. It's dried up in the NHL. And the other thing, too, is that I think that um, – I don't think Pagula's shackling him. I just think it's the NHL. And, of course, free agency has been a dud. You have to go back to the Regeer days when the Sabres last really succeeded with some pretty good free agents. But um, the fact is the Sabres remind me right now of the Pittsburgh Pirates in baseball. Though there's a no salary cap in baseball, nobody gives them the time of day. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Thanks, Mark. The landscape of the NHL is a fair point, too. I mean, it's one of the reasons the Sabres signed a bunch of guys to seven-year deals. The whole league has kind of locked down. The secret's out. Get your players signed early in their primes. And the free agency class tends to be guys that are 28 and older. And if you are a team like the Sabres, you're rarely gunning for those guys because you're just trying to get good again. So those guys end up going to, uh, you know, contenders. Try to win if they were stuck on some losing team. I think the landscape of the NHL point is is fair. Um, it doesn't explain everything for the Sabers, and you know, the, the Sabers have earned their their spot in the NHL, and what what players and coaches out there might think of them. Eight oh three oh five fifty. When we get back, I have instant trivia. We'll see how Ooh. how good Sal is on his Bills trivia. I mean, you're gonna like it. All right, you're gonna like this okay. one. It's timely for today. Bills trivia for instant trivia. And uh, Don Granado, 8 o'clock. Paul Hamilton, 7.30. We'll recap the game against the Ducks. Another uh, rough one. They played pretty great and uh, didn't go well because of some colossal OMG mistakes in their own end. Real bad. All right, Jeremy and Sal here on WGR. 
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Time now for instant trivia. Our contestant today, Mr. Sal Capaccio. Instant trivia brought to you by the Farmer's Dog. Fresh human grade dog food delivered right to your door. All right, Sal. Today is the uh, opening of the franchise tag window. Teams mm-hmm. can place the franchise tag on players. The Bills have used the franchise tag five times in franchise history. Do you know, can you name the five players to have received the franchise tag from the Buffalo Bills? Yes, I know for sure they did it on Jarris Bird. That's the first name that comes to mind. 2013, a three-time Pro Bowler, Bird. $6.9 million on the tag in 2013. I also know that now fellow media member who is uh, doing a lot of cool stuff we've had on the air, and I've met him a few times out and about, is the first time they ever used it, offensive lineman John Fina. 1996, correct. I also know that they used it and then traded this player. Wide receiver, Peerless Price. 2003. How about this? Do you know what the franchise tag was for Peerless Price in 2002? Wide receiver franchise tag in 2002 was 5 million. Hold on. Oh, sorry. I already said I was going to say six. That's right. I was going to yeah. say six. Okay. $5 million on the franchise tag. Wow. <laughs> Price of inflation is That's crazy, right. man. That's right. Two more. Two more. Wide receiver in this economy. All right. Here we go. Um, the last time they used it. I believe it was Cordy Glenn. I don't think they have one since then, but I know they used it on Cordy Glenn, so I'm going to say Cordy Glenn. He was uh, tagged and never played on the tag. They agreed to an extension. Yes, Cordy Glenn. And one more. Okay, one more, one more, one more. So, but, But let me ask you this. Cordy Glenn was the last one, right? There wasn't one since him. Correct. 2016 Cordy Glenn. Wow. You've got Bird, Glenn, Price, and Fina. And you're missing just one. Oh, man. I, I don't want to get to hint territory yet. Okay. Because I got to figure this out. I got to know this player. I got to know who this is. 
Did he play a long time in Buffalo? I don't know. Give me, give me something that's not going to really give it away. Okay. He played on the franchise tag for one year and then left, signing an eight-year deal with another team, which made him the highest-paid defender in football at the time. Defender. Okay, defender. Highest-paid defender in football. It wasn't, it wasn't a D-lineman. It wasn't a linebacker. I got Bird at safety. I got... It, Nate Clements. Correct. Nate Clements, $5.9 million in 2006. He left the following season, went to San Francisco, became the highest paid defender in football. Both, All right. There you go. I, okay, now here's my question. I'm wondering as you're asking me this. I don't know this. Has every team used the tag since the Bills last used it? Like, when's the hmm. last time every team used the tag? I want to look that up because 2016, that's quite a while ago, seven years. Yeah. That's a good question. The, how many how many teams have used it since? Has every team done it since? I can look, that, look I, that up. You know what, Josh? <laughs> you want something to do? Not that he's, Josh is busy as it is, but if anybody wants to do that work. I'll look it up here. All right. Also, a fun question would be, who's the next, if you were to place a bet, the next mm-hmm. Bills player most likely to be franchise tagged? Who would it be? I mean, Rousseau is a okay. good answer, right? Defense. Well, you have two more years for that, yep. so yep. that's that, right. That, Is there anybody bef- that's before true. that that would come up? Uh, Kincaid. Uh, it's a long time away. I'm, I'm. What I'm doing is I'm thinking positions where. Oh, oh, I, you, I, I, I think I have it. Believe it or not, I know, I know. Even though I'm the one to tell you, they don't spend here. It's so low, though. You could definitely do it with James Cook if you want to keep him. Uh, all right, right. Ten million dollars, James Cook. That's a good answer. Now that is two more years, also just like yep. Greg Rousseau, but Greg Rousseau's tag number is going to be like thirty million by then, yeah. basically because of the, um, yeah. Well, it's should, what, he his fifth year option is already what thirteen something like that. So I guess like over twenty million. James Cook, because of running back market, won't be to me. That might be someone, even though they don't spend there, that might be very able to do that yeah. because of the finances at that position. Yeah. There you go. Instant trivia. When we get back, we'll kick in. If you want to call about the Sabres, give us a thought. That's fine. Paul's going to come up at 7.30 on the Sabres and Don Granato at 8. I want to get to sell on the wide receiver. He's got a state of wide receiver coming out. I want to dig a little deeper into that and talk about just what the Bills can do to attack this position. Uh, Darnell Mooney, DJ Chark, uh, you know, those are the free agent ideas and free agency. It really, uh, I'm kind of torn right now on, on the Bills, Sal, because I'm seeing national people fade them a bit, and I don't really get the feeling that there's any reason to expect the Bills to have a season any different than they have the last two, three, four years. So I'll ask you about that. 803-0550, to join us here on a Tuesday morning. Jeremy and Sal's in for Joe on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I think he's their second most important player, honestly, after the quarterback. And I just don't know how you can watch what they did in the Super Bowl and not understand the significance and the impact he had. I don't think it's understating it to say he is their pass rush. And the fact that 
he can deliver what he does from the interior, and then also they can bump him outside when they need to when they see a mismatch. I think it just opens up so many other things for the rest of their defense. Like we talk about Legereus Sneed being a free agent. They've been drafting cornerbacks. No offense to Legereus Sneed, he's great. I just think Chris Jones is the more yeah. irreplaceable player on that defense. Dan Graziano on Chris Jones, who could get the franchise tag. The Chiefs have a couple candidates for that. One extension, one franchise tag. Legereus Sneed, Chris Jones. Chris Jones, a second-round pick of the Chiefs a couple of years back, and he has turned into one of the top ten players in the NFL just about every year he's on that list. Jeremy and Joe, but Joe's out today. Sal Capaccio is in and uh, chatting football with us. Josh Schmidt producing. Good morning. We'll have Paul Hamilton coming up at 7.30 and Sabres head coach Don Granato at 8. So uh, plenty of time to you know dig into the Sabres, state of the Sabres in a bit. But we've talked uh, plenty of football this morning, and we'll get back to that a little bit here. Sal's got his piece up at our website, uh, State of the Bills running backs. He's done quarterbacks. Up next is wide receiver, which is, uh, you know, music to my ears. I'm, I'm always ready for a, a wide receiver conversation, Sal. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be interesting today. Looking at it, uh, looking at it yeah. for sure. But before that, you, you've got something you want to give me. You've got you've got oh, something juicy. I have something for you. I think this is juicy for you. You're going to love this. Yeah. All right. You I'm ready I'm, for this. I'm okay. ready. So, Jeremy, I know how much you hate New England Patriots documentaries, and you know, yes, the the, 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 the Patriots love that. I get it. I know, and yes. you know. Yes, I don't need. I'm not shy I, from telling you. I, I don't need to spend right, my ahead. free time reliving mm-hmm. that misery. Yes. Okay. Totally respectable. Totally. But you also know that I have openly told you how much, and I've said it, and I will freely admit, I really liked Tom versus Time, the short docu-series on Tom Brady on Facebook and him his challenges as he got older. And I also really actually liked Man in the Arena. And I know that's more along the lines of what you're saying and reliving it, but you know, each episode telling a different you know story that went along. I did. I enjoyed it. I really did. Um but there's one there now that's out, and I'm like, there's no way I'm watching this for the same reason as you. This is just becoming another Patriots, you know, slobber fest, basically, and just everybody just throwing their kisses at them all over the place. And, you know, it reminds me of, and it's not to the level, of course, Bill's lost four Super Bowls, I understand. But, you know, how many times during the drought do we have to be reminded of all the great things of the 90s, right? The Patriots are getting to that territory. They know everything's over, all these different things that are coming out. They have to, everybody has to remind you how great they were. I get it. But there is a new one. It's on Apple TV. It's called The Dynasty, actually. <laughs> I'm like, I am not watching this. This is going to be just all about how great they were. However, I read an article from Ben Volin this morning. And I'm like, maybe I need to watch this. Here's why. <laughs> okay. okay. It is amazing to me what they're doing now in New England. It just shows to show you whatever it shows you. He says, Lynn that it should actually be titled Kill Bill because Mm. it is rough on the Patriots' former head coach. Let me give you an example. This is what Ben Volan writes about the documentary called The Dynasty on Apple TV about the Patriots. Ready? Danny Amendola and Rob Gronkowski dumped on Belichick for making life miserable for players. He is ripped mercilessly for Spygate and for benching Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl and for writing a love letter to Donald Trump before the 2016 presidential election. (laughs) The gloomy music that played every time Belichick's face appeared on screen was straight out of a Disney movie. And the entire 10th episode, Ben Volin writes, which debuts March 15th, is essentially dedicated to blaming Belichick for driving Brady out of Foxborough into Tampa in 2020. 
That is unbelievable. There is now they have gone full. Oh yeah, we got to find someone to blame. No. Why we are not the greatest anymore? All right, this is this is uh, the most interested I've been in one of these Patriots documentaries. The only problem is, is it make Brady look good? Because I can't watch anything like that. Like he gets enough love as it is. <laughs> I'm sure they. I'm if they're sure, just making sure. him look good again, I, I I don't want to do that. I'm already trying to wow. mentally prepare myself. I don't know if you saw. Um, Mina Kimes, Pablo Torre, and Dan Levitard talking about whether or not Brady will be good at his new job, which is, you know, in the booth. And I don't think he will, but if he is, then that's great. Like, I'll, I will find a way to be okay with that. I have a tough time, you know, taking him anywhere. But if he's going to be the national broadcaster on, you know, leading Fox and he's good at it, then I'm going to be into that. I'm going to, I'm going to have to find a way to bury the hatchet with my hate, my hatred for Brady. So, I mean, I don't, a, a documentary a, that makes him look cool, I don't need that. But if he's going to be on television as it is, that I'm going to be have a, a, a much tougher time avoiding. I'm sure the documentary will make him look cool, but apparently this does not make Belichick look cool, and it really kind of focuses on it's all Belichick's fault. In fact, it yeah. says here, when a producer asks Kraft – if Brady would still be a Patriot if Belichick had left the team, Kraft replied, yes, I feel pretty strongly about that. Wow. They are totally – it is the it is the Kraft, Jonathan included with some quotes here. Jonathan and Bill basically saying it's um, – and Robert, I'm saying, saying it's all Bill's fault that Brady is not here anymore. Blame him, Patriots fans. Hmm. That's why Ben Volin writes it should be called Kill Bill this series. That's wild. <laughs> I mean, to just go in on your wow. Hall of Fame whatever coach and – I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not upset about it. <laughs> Will I watch it? We'll see. I gotta. I gotta get around to. There's so many things to watch. The Tiger documentary. You know, there's lots to get to. Eight oh three oh five fifty and one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. Sell's piece uh, coming up today. State of the Bills wide receiver. Sell. I've got a wide receiver idea of the day that's been sent to me by multiple people. We do this where we talk receivers and you know whether it's free agency or trade. People are sending in, like, how, how about this guy? How about this guy? We've done Marquise Brown. Uh, who else did we do? We did T. Higgins, I think, the idea that, you know, go out and sign T. Higgins. The Bills don't exactly have room for it. So there there are no bad ideas. We're willing to talk about all of them. And I've posted a Twitter poll on the latest one, if you want to really dig down into it, because I got a long email about the Bills making it all happen for Marvin Harrison Jr. The One of the emails comes in. This is from Tyler. I've got one from mm. Tyler. And I've got one from Jake, who wrote okay. back in October about this idea, about Marvin Harrison Jr. So here's some of it, right? Obviously, this this year's pick, it's late 20s, multiple first and or second rounders in future years, whatever it is. You'd have a new weapon immediately, a bona fide number one for potentially the rest of Allen's career. I really think spending these assets would be well worth it for a generational prospect in Harrison especially considering some of the recent misses Bean has had in early rounds. That's the part from Jake. Tyler wrote in. He he had a full-on package for the deal. Ready for this? <laughs> mm-hmm. A first, which is kind of like a second rounder. It's almost like giving up two seconds if you do this because the Bills are picking so late. <laughs> you, mean, right? you mean a first meaning you're first this year? You're first. The, the, like you're going to swap. You're, you're going to swap yeah, you're and you're going to give up 28. You're going to give up next year's first and multiple seconds. Okay. And what you're doing is you're okay. you're – you're planning for Diggs' replacement, but also you're having Diggs and Marvin Harrison Jr. together. Should the Bills do whatever it takes, the whole draft and another first for Marvin Harrison Jr.? I posted it at our website, or sorry, at the Twitter, my Twitter, idea of the day. 
trade the whole draft or whatever it takes for Marvin Harrison Jr. I want to let you know, Sal, I am the, the captain of this train driving for receivers, and I am voting no on this. Uh, even I am a little bit responsible with these picks. I'm very nervous about the idea of moving up too much. But would it shock you to hear that 36% earlier saying, yes, they should do it, that the Bills should go all in okay. for that guy? Okay, there's a little bit of nuance we need to get to about this, but I want to tell you, Jeremy, you did not know this then, I guess, because Joe and I discussed this a little bit. Uh, last week, early last week, I was on a podcast with John Scott, Joe Biscalia, and Matt Perino. And John always invites a few people into the uh, Spectrum News studios to do a video, a live stream video podcast. We put it out there and he does a great job. And John always asks, it's like the third or fourth year in a row I've done it with him. And John always says at the end, I want you to give one bold prediction, bold take for the offseason. Okay. And my bold take, Jeremy White, was this is the year their bills are going to go higher in the draft and they're going to take a wide receiver. They're going to trade up. They're going to trade it than they have over the last few years, two spots here, three, whatever it is, for um, Kyrie Elam, for Dalton Kincaid, a couple spots. My bold take, Jeremy, was the Bills are going to do this. Now, for Marvin Harrison Jr., I love Marvin Harrison Jr. He, his dad went to Syracuse. We love Marvin we Harrison do. Jr., right, That's Jeremy, right. because he's, his, his dad's a Cuse guy. He came out in the, the Eric Moulds draft, and you know the 96 draft was loaded with a, a Terry Glenn, loaded with Eddie Kennison. Remember that draft? Incredible yeah. draft, 1996. Um, so I love Marvin Harrison Jr. I think he is sensational. It doesn't have to be Marvin Harrison Jr. for me, though. There are, lots, there are some really fabulous wide receivers, which is the counterpoint to him. Hey, why, why do it? You can stay there and get a guy. And I get that. But here's the reason why I say I think the Bills could very well do this this year. I, I, have, I, I believe the Bills may have wanted Trent McDuffie and the Chiefs got him first because they traded up and they wound up getting him. So the Bills take Kyrie Elam. Okay, they like him enough. So they sit there and say, we're okay with that. We could take him. I believe the Bills would, would really have liked to have Jalen Phillips the year he came out. But that was a little too high of a price. They don't get him. They get Greg Rousseau, who they love, right? They love Greg Rousseau, and there's no problem with that. So the point is, there was guys they were willing to don't need to give up the capital there. But I think they've seen around the league that, you know what, maybe, and, and they look, look what happened. Look where McDuffie is now. And yes, you love, obviously, Greg Rousseau. And I'm not saying that yep. and Jalen Phillips is hurt, but we know Jalen Phillips is a terrific player. I, I just feel like maybe now... Um, after all this, considering with 10 picks this year, they have 10 picks. They're going to have a 10th when they get their comp pick. And the fact that, you know, it they've waited a few times and didn't get the guy they necessarily wanted, that maybe this is the year that Brandon Bean says, I'm not going to do that this year. I'm going to go get the guy I want. That doesn't have to be Marvin Harrison Jr., but I think it's possible they do that this year. How? Okay, so the idea that they would trade up, to me that's not crazy. Bean does often slide, right? They he I would say that Bean is more known for, even though, you know, trade it, they are trading up. The Elam pick, the Kincaid pick, uh, Cordy Glenn, right? The, how many times, Sal, have the Bills moved up like two spots, three spots? And I know that's a trade up. Right. Yep. But, but to me, that's, if, if you'll allow me to treat that as a slide up. What we're talking about. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. What we're talking about here. You think it's. And I'm saying they would do it much differently this year and right, go right, even right. higher because that's what not, I mean. it's no more of a slide. You, you don't think it's yeah. out of the realm of possibility for the Bills to move up to like 11 and take it. If Rome Adunze right. is falling and is at 10, you think that's in play maybe for the Bills? 
I do. I, I, that's my bold take, right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't have any yeah. anything. No, I'm not sourcing this. I just want everybody to know. That my, my interpretation and just my prediction of how everything has happened over the last few years and where their state of their wide receiver position is, speaking of doing that today, I, I feel that this might be the year that they have to make a bold move to go up and say, we're going to get the guy we want. We're going to go get the guy that we think is going to be best for us, and we have enough draft capital now to do it with 10 picks. It's not like because let's take a look. What did the Atlanta Falcons do? This is, to me, it reminds me of 20. 2011, Jeremy, with the Atlanta Falcons and the Cleveland Browns. The Falcons took Julio Jones sixth overall. There was a package of five draft picks. They were at 27. Yeah, they moved up. They went up to up. six. And they got Julio Jones. Does anyone regret that for Atlanta? And wide receivers, by the way, there are there is no guarantee. We know that for anybody. Quentin Johnson hasn't hit. Bateman really hasn't hit for the Ravens. You can go through some of these guys. But actually, if you take a look at some of the real high for uh, uh, wide receivers over the last several years, the hit rate is very, very good compared to most positions. Yeah. 803 We'll get a call in here. Paul in Buffalo on a trade idea. Now, I then I have a follow-up about the, the, the moving up for you, Sal. Paul, good morning. Thanks for calling. Hey, Jeremy. Jeremy, I, got, I have a few ideas pretty much to fill all our holes, solve our cat problem for 25 and beyond. Perfect. And <laughs> along with that trade idea. Um, so I, don't you guys think we can get a second for Diggs? No, and I wouldn't want to. No. No. Okay. I don't think they're getting a second-round pick for a soon-to-be – 31-year-old wide receiver coming off a year and where he tailed off production towards the end, uh, especially considering what this for, this draft is for young wide receivers and what other receivers have gone for over the last few years. I mean, no one even did anything to get DeAndre Hopkins until, you know, it was basically late in free agency. Uh, they couldn't find a trade partner for DeAndre Hopkins last year. Yeah, and I know they're not the same player, but no, I do not think you would get a second-round pick for him. Yeah, I was thinking like the Bears with like almost seventy million available, and, and Caleb Williams for you know the rookie contract they could absorb his his salary. No, I mean I, I just don't have any interest in. I mean on this, Paul, I don't think there's any right trade for for Diggs. If you're taking a fifth round pick, like Khalil Mack got traded for a fifth round pick because of contract. So like, Sal, you know this. There's a there's a strange in between. To say you couldn't get a second for Diggs does not mean the league thinks he stinks. It means contracts right. and set and cap hits and the last couple seasons we've seen guys get like Khalil Max the one on the top of my head where he got traded for nothing because he's already under contract for big money so and if that's the case if I'm rebuilding that's a different story but I fully expect Diggs to be productive and good and I don't have any interest in trading him for pennies on the dollar I think he should be on the team okay but then real quick I guess my that was like kind of the this the focal point of my of my moves um but that's okay. What's the rest of it? I mean, it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to trade the 2025 first-round pick and the fourth-round pick this year uh, to get back into the top 35 and take a receiver there along with our 28th pick. Hmm. Gotcha. So, Would you take a receiver with 28 and another one, you're saying? Yeah, at like 34 yeah. for that 2025 mm -hmm. pick. Basically, so, what I wanted to do is the catch rate for Diggs, <laughs> Davis, Sherfield, and Hardy this year was 63%. The catch rate for Kincaid, Shakir, and Cook was 82%. Uh, so I wanted to swap out Diggs, Davis, Sherfield, and Hardy for 28, 34, 99, and basically Bourne or Mooney or somebody. All right. Well, the one thing about catch rate – thanks, Paul. One thing about catch rate, it's going to be different for different types of players. And Shakir and Kincaid were great for the Bills this year. Those are easy-button throws. 
I mean, Cole, uh, let me look up Cole Beasley's catch rate with the Bills. It was probably very high. This is something that's often been mentioned about Gabe Davis, where his catch rate was never that high because he's running so many vertical, down-the-field kind of routes. Catch rate for Beasley in his time with the Bills was 71%, which is you know really good. Um, Davis, I'll have to pull this up. I don't imagine Davis is ever high. I mean, Diggs was good until the new coordinator. Can we just can I can I have that Sal as a as a universally accepted reality that Diggs was a massive contributor in the offense. He was the best receiver the franchise has maybe ever had until they switched coordinators, and then it was eight weeks where things didn't really go well and playoffs. And the reality is that the passing game on the whole under Joe Brady was probably the weakest that it's been and Diggs' entire time here. That's not just Diggs, that's that's just about everybody. The passing game on the whole suffered a bit. And we'll see what Joe Brady comes back with, but, I mean, I, I, at the end yes. of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm being asked to choose between what do you think is more real? These eight games from Diggs means he's shot, or Joe Brady was kind of just doing what he could with what he had, some things worked and some things didn't. No doubt. I would also point out, though, he did get targeted under Joe Brady. The production wasn't there. He did get targeted. Like he had he, he had he had eight, eleven, eleven, five, eight, seven, eight. Like he he was still he wasn't as, as much as much as earlier where he had sixteen, twelve, twelve. He also had some sevens in there. Yep. But he was getting targeted under Joe Brady. He was. But how many of those targets were those screens? I mean, yeah, that's right. He was given targets in a way that was just like we got to get him the ball, and it almost was like yes. we got we got to try and get him the ball because we can't get it to him <coughs> the other ways. Whether that's because coverage was was stacked so far on that side, but like on catch on catch percentage in 2021, Diggs' catch percentage was lower than it was this year, and nobody was upset about that. Like catch percentage is. Fine. It's it, it's it's one measure. His first season here, his catch percentage digs was almost seventy seven percent. The following year it was sixty three. So, do I want to get totally hung up on that? Not really. The fact that it's so high for Shakir and Kincaid is a good thing, and I want to get another player on the outside to replace Gabe Davis. But I just I'm I I understand it, but man, I am so far away from. Just dumping digs because of whether it's catch percentage or if it's eight games, whatever it is. The, the, the numbers on the passing offense, Josh Allen's quarterback rating in a clean pocket with Joe Brady was not good really at any point this year. So it's, it's one of the things that I'll be going to training camp with is, you know, what does Joe Brady think the future of this passing offense looks like? Because when he ran the team, things got a little better. They were a little cleaner in a lot of things they did. But they are by no means explosive and by no means, I think, the best version of what they can be. I, You know how sometimes we say, oh, my God, like guys like, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or whoever kind of skewed it for the rest of the league because of you know how good they are. Or, I don't know. When the guy comes in, maybe Mahomes right away because he was good, you know, his first year as a starter at least. I think in a lot of ways Justin Jefferson has done that and a couple of wide receivers that have come along, which is you get people who say like, well, just trade digs and draft one in the first round. And I'll be the first to tell you, yes, the, the hit rate is good for wide receivers early. It's a, there's no guarantee. And, and I think about this and say, yeah, that'd be great. I, it'd be an incredibly great scenario for the bills to have like two guys come in on rookie contracts that, you know, you know what? We are set now for the next few years. The reality is though, you have no idea if that's going to happen. If those guys are going to be good, if they're not going to be good, how they're going to take to the NFL, 
all that kind of stuff. And you have a guy in Stefan Diggs that then it comes down to what do you feel like he still is? And if you believe he can still play as you do, as Brandon Bean apparently does by him saying, I still believe he's a number one wide receiver. Then if you make those moves, you could actually be setting yourself even further back at wide receiver because now you better hope that that guy does hit. And I got it. I, I, I want it too, Jeremy. I want the wide receiver trade. I'm on it. Go draft him. But I don't need to do it necessarily at the expense of having Stefan Diggs on this team. No. I'm probably going to lose Gabe Davis as well. Right. I, I've got no interest in that. And the other thing I would ask you, Sal, is, I mean, Allen said we're going to do big things together next year. Do you think that's Josh Allen lip service, or do you think that is, that's, that's what he thinks, like we're going to get this thing back on track next year? I think that's what he thinks. I would probably venture to guess, though, that Josh Allen has no control nor knows what is actually going to happen with Stefan Diggs. Now, you made a, a comment last week I was listening. You said, if Josh Allen says, I want him back, he's back, or something like that. Right? Yes, that I, way, I believe that. If Allen says, I want him here, then he's here. I, I don't necessarily believe that. I don't think he – because what if he says, I want Gabe Davis back? I mean, like, he may say that too. And Brandon Bean's going to say, I can't afford it, Josh. I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry. We just can't do that. The difference is that one guy requires a new contract, and the other guy is just under contract. Like, Davis leaving is to be expected and foreseen. The idea that you would dump Diggs would mean you're you're basically setting Josh Allen's receiver room to zero with Shakir. And right. that would be – I mean, if the Bills were to do that, the, the moment they do it, the, 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 the entire conversation is about, like, what are you doing to Josh Allen here? How could you leave this player with such a horribly inept room? We'd have to wait until the free agency, until the draft. But the cap hit all of it. It's just – it seems like, I don't know, it seems like a total mess. And I feel like if Allen no, no, wa- wants right. him back, he, he's going to get him back. Well, I would say it this way. To me, it's more of as long as Josh Allen doesn't want him gone. Then, you know what I mean? Like if Josh Allen's like, I can't play with this guy anymore, then I do think that they would be like, okay, we got to figure this out and what can we do? I don't think it's as easy as it, because I, 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 Josh Allen doesn't control it. If Stefan Diggs, which we don't know this, and there's always been talk about this, I don't mean to rehash it or bring it up or have a guy in Buffalo talking on the radio about Stefan Diggs leaving, but let's just say he really did. He didn't want to be here anymore. If he really made it known to the Bills and said, do that, I don't think it really matters what Josh Allen feels. They're, they might say, well, we'd love to have him for Josh, but we got to figure out this situation, and that's between Stefan Diggs and the organization. 803 Paul Hamilton. Recap the Sabres game. We got to talk about this. Uh, this the results of this Twitter poll, Sal. I'm I, I'll admit I'm surprised that uh, it's a full 37 percent saying trade it all for Marvin Harrison Jr. But it's <laughs> but but what it speaks to is the desire to get Josh Allen's next window. You talked about this a little earlier. Windows yeah. in dynasties and little mini whatever timelines within the big timeline. The next timeline is finding the next wide receiver for Josh Allen. And that, to me, is something that people are very much keyed in on, and with good reason. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Paul Hamilton on the other side. Don Granado, top of the hour. Jeremy and Sal talking plenty of bills today with you as uh, the free agency tag window, the fr- franchise tag window, I should say, opens today. We'll keep you updated on who gets tagged throughout the morning if news comes down. Rice with Darlene up top. Thompson again. That one off the post. Scores. Number 72, Tage Thompson unloads a TNT a couple of times, but he gets one there, and the Sabres are up 2-1. to one. Dan Dunleavy on the call, one of the highlights of the game. Moment of the game, brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. Jeremy and Sal, Joe's out today. Sal Capaccio in. Good Tuesday morning. Sunny, 30s, mid-30s today. 
beautiful bluebird kind of day. Joining us on the Western Hotline is Mr. Paul Hamilton, who was at yesterday's Sabres loss to the Ducks. Paul, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good. Paul, we had someone call in and say that uh, yesterday was the last straw. And, you know, there's lots of reasons to be upset and frustrated with what the Sabres are. But yesterday's game is a game they play as a group really well. And colossal mistakes are why they lose. I mean, (laughs) if you stepped away for that game for five minutes to come back to see them losing, you'd have been stunned because the entire thing looked to be in control early on, like a game they were going to win by five. Yeah, and they didn't commit a lot of mistakes, but the ones they committed were like dandies. And they just wound up in the net, and they kept doing it against the top line. And uh, they scored uh, the McTavish line, scored three of the four goals. He had three assists himself. And, uh, you know, those are the guys that are going to make you pay when you make the mistakes. And uh, it it was just, you know, turnover, turnover. And, you know, they didn't – and that it's probably the first time since early December that, you know, I thought to myself, wow, they, they needed a save there, uh, that the goaltending wasn't, and you know, up to par. And, you know, Uko Pekalukunen is not perfect. He is going to have the odd bad game, and that was that was his, his game. Uh, you know, two goals that, you know, the, the Terry goal, you know, where they just brought it out and put it through him. And the uh, one of the Vitrano goals where he's in the crease and he has the puck or he thought he had it and he didn't. It was laying in the crease and it, it wound up being just a tap in. But there were a lot of mistakes that led to those things happening. And, you know, even even with all the mistakes, just a, a normal Lucanin game that we've had the past couple of months or we've seen probably gets them the win. But uh, the combination of the mistakes, uh, the goaltending, and then the the fact that, you know, Granado went with, and I agree with this, they just didn't put him away. And that's true. They had opportunity after opportunity. I mean, Darlene was great in that game, and he had a couple of stretch passes that produced breakaways for Greenway and for Thompson, and no dice on either one. And and so you know you're you're missing breakaways, you're missing wide open nets, you're you're getting robbed by a goaltender again, and you know you're you're again letting a goaltender who has horrible stats, you know, look like an all star in the league, and uh, they all all added up to a, a loss. It adds up to a loss, Alan. Like after the game, Don Granado, I, f- I felt like his post game was interesting because of one big overarching point he's asked about you know winning and results but he seemed to kind of say that there's belief there that what they felt they needed to get better at as an organization that has happened at the expense of the goal scoring which he believes will come back and you know we've got him coming up at the top of the hour here but it it, it seems to me like the Sabres whatever self-scouted identified they need to be better in certain ways and they at least believe they are doing that, but, of course, the results are not there. Yeah, he has said that numerous times. I mean, uh, when, when you asked me about it, uh, you know, so that's not even close to the first time I've heard him say that. And, uh, and anything that went on, a lot of people were talking about other things that were said. I said, this is nothing new. I mean, he's been saying this for a while. Maybe it's the first time a bunch of people have heard it. But, uh, yeah, the, the, he's, he's been saying that for a while that, 
basically they and, and they have to, you know they have done a good job of cutting down on the mistakes and cutting down on the two on ones now i'm saying this after a game where <laughs> they didn't do that but for the most part they have i mean coming into the game i think they were second in the league on defense uh since the first of the year and uh, that includes good goaltending and the fact that they're not hanging the goalies out to dry game after game after game without numbered situations. Now, it reared its ugly head yesterday because of a lot of turnovers, and you know they did get uh, a lot of outnumbered situations against them. But for the most part, the defense has been better. You know, I don't know if I'm... Are they really sat- sacrificing the offense? I mean, they're getting 40 shots in some games, Yesterday, in the second period, the shots were twenty-four to five. You know, so I mean, they're they're getting quality opportunities. The right people are getting the quality opportunities, and they're not putting the puck in the net. So, uh, you know, he he keeps you know he keeps saying, you know, they will be better for it because they'll be a better defensive team, and then the the goal scoring will come back. And I'm thought, well. Will it? I mean, I know as a coach you have to believe that because if you don't believe it, you're not going to be the coach very long. And uh, But I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure I believe that, that it's coming back because either last year was a fluke or this year was a fluke. One of the last two seasons have been a fluke. And was last year a fluke where everybody had career years and career shooting percentages, and you know, scored all those goals, or is this year the fluke where they're getting opportunity after opportunity, and they're just making goaltenders look good every game? Paul Hamilton, even if it go ahead, Sal, even if it comes back, Paul, it's just too late, <laughs> right? I mean, I think yeah. that's the frustrating part. Like, I mean, he he might be right. Maybe Don Granado's right. Maybe it comes back. What it doesn't matter. Even if it comes back in a week. They just the season is essentially sunk where they are, and I know he's not going to say that up at the podium. But even he has to know that, you know, they, they've they've dug themselves such a hole that if it comes back, what's kind of what's kind of the point? I know for him it'd be great to see that happen, and he can point to growth, and he can point to how these guys, hey, you know what, yeah, this is who we thought we were, and we just we had some bad luck all along the way. But it it kind of doesn't matter. And the thing is, if it comes back now. I think they're going to get another false sense of security like they had last year. And we're going to be sitting here at the end of September talking about, well, you know, we signed this defenseman for, for the, to be our number seven deep. And we've got three guys that we can put in Rochester just in case we get injuries. And, you know, we, we've, we've got uh, a forward that we can put in Rochester just in case we have, that's what I think what would happen if, it, if, if, they would start scoring now, I think it would reinforce in their heads that they really don't have to do a whole lot to the roster. Yeah, I was going to say, Paul, that's the million-dollar question. If they really truly believe that it's just a fluky bad year, then we won't see big changes. And I feel like the fans are ready to see some big changes. Uh, We could talk about the GM and the coach being changed, which might be very unlikely, but Kevin Adams has not made very, very big moves to acquire players. And if he's of the same belief of Granado, which is we're getting better for it, this is all going to be fine, then I would expect very little movement this offseason. And that, I guess that's the true test to find out if they are, in fact, believing what's happening is necessary. 
Right, and necessary, I think, is the key word there. I mean, don't make trades just because the fans want you to make this big trade. Make it because it's this is what the organization has to have. You need to make a big trade to make this team better. And that's what I think it is. You know, don't just I, – and I never and, – and I always say if a GM starts listening to the fans and starts making moves just because the fans are screaming at him – Fire him now. Don't even let him start making moves. I mean, because he's he's not. I don't think he's worth a grain of salt. I mean, uh, make the moves because it's this is what the team needs to get better. They need to get a defenseman who can be like their number two defenseman. And they have. They didn't make. We were telling all summer long. We talked about that. That's what they need. Well, we. I was saying a top four. And, you know, a top four would be fine, but preferably I wouldn't mind trading a big part of the core, not not four guys, but, I mean, uh, uh, one one guy who is a big part of the core to get that specific defenseman that they need or to change over the forward group, which, you know, which I think they also need to do too. So uh, it doesn't have to be a, re- a total rebuild or anything like that. But uh, they need two or three forwards that are hard to play against, and uh, they they need that defenseman that they didn't fill last year. They didn't fill that role. Paul Hamilton on the Western Hotline. His appearance brought to you by Relax on Relax. We got this. Thank you, Paul. Take care, guys. Sabres fall to Anaheim. They were swept in the season series by the Ducks, which is uh, disappointing. Standings. Let me get you the NHL standings. Brought to you by uh, Tall Chief Cigars. Native Pride and Tall Chief Cigars stand tall with Native Pride. 12 points out of a playoff spot right now. The Detroit Red Wings won, and uh, the Sabres lost, so they are now 12 points back. Next up for the Sabres tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, against Montreal, and then Columbus. You know, if you look at those NHL standings, this would have been a week where, even though the playoff odds would be very, very low, Montreal, Columbus, and Anaheim are three of the teams that are behind the Sabres in the standings, and... You know, I don't know if I need to tell you all this. How many teams are behind the Sabres in the standings? Not many. Seven. Three of the teams behind them in the standings they play this week, although Montreal now tied. And if they lose to Montreal, they will drop into 26th place. Well, 803-0550. Josh did the work sale on the last time every team used the the franchise tag. Yeah. Thank you. I actually just had some windows open trying to figure it out, and I couldn't. So thank you, Josh. You have it for us. Josh has done the work. The Bills have not used the franchise tag since 2016. Today opens the franchise tag window. We'll get a break in, and then there's a a fun question for you and I to try and answer. Josh already told me. I'm thinking about it. We'll give it to you on the other side about the history of the franchise tag. That's coming up. Uh, Dennis, hang with us. We'll get your call in. And Sabres head coach Don Granato coming up top of the hour as well here on WGR. Happy Tuesday morning. So Josh Schmidt, our producer, did some work. Jeremy White, Sal Capaccio, sales in for Joe today. He did some work. And what he did was look to find out the last time every team used the franchise tag. We had our instant trivia earlier today. The Bills have not used the franchise tag since 2016. And Josh found the two teams that have gone longer without using the franchise tag. Who's that? That would be the Philadelphia Eagles and the Indianapolis Colts. The last time the Eagles used it was in 2012 on Deshaun Jackson. He was awarded $9.5 million. And the Indianapolis Colts used it on Pat McAfee in 2012 <laughs> for $2.9 million. I love it. That's fantastic. But That's great. But there is 
one team that since 2017 has used it five times. Jacksonville Jaguars have used it four times, and the Commanders have used it four times. They're the next closest. Somebody's used it five. Somebody's used it five. Well, Washington would have, would have been my guess for five because Cousins twice and probably a defender here or there. Who has used the franchise tag five times in the last seven years, Sal? You got a guess here? I think the the Cowboys come to mind. I don't know if they've done it that often. I don't know. Feels like that could be a team here. Um, man, five times. I don't know. Um, I, I know what. Here's a team that I just is off the beaten path. I don't know this, but it feels like every year we're talking the Saints. Like the, like the Saints for some reason just are sticking out in my head. Have they done it five times? I don't know. The Saints have done it once. Okay, back in 2021. Oh, That's way off. <laughs> All right, um, I'm going to throw out hmm, five franchise tags. Is somebody cheap? Who's cheap? That's what I I'm going to say Cowboys, about. too, though. Cowboys? That is a guess. You go ahead, Jeremy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess Cowboys, too. I feel like the Cowboys do it a lot, but you go ahead. Is it the Cowboys? It is the Cowboys. Okay. What, Zeke go. at least once, and Dak? They would have used it on Dak. Not Zeke. Not Zeke. No, they used it on Demarcus Lawrence twice in 2018 and 19, Dak wow. in 2020, Dalton Schultz in 2022, and Tony Pollard in 2023. All right, there you go, five times. 803-0550. Dennis and Lockport as we connect with our fans. Brought to you by Northtown Kia. Shop online at northtownkia.com. What's the New York's number one Kia dealer? Hey, Dennis, good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, when talking about the upcoming draft, I know Marvin Harrison Jr., everyone would love to have him. But what do you see down the, the line maybe where we don't have to give up much draft stock and maybe like a guy, uh, Keon Coleman, I know that he's been mentioned a few times, Brian Thomas from LSU, or McConkey or Wilson later on, like grab one of the other guys and, and then trade up maybe to get another second-round pick for another wide receiver so you can maybe get a tandem out of there and start refreshing it. What do you guys think about that? About Keon Coleman? Yep. I've seen a little bit on Coleman. Benjamin Solak of the Ringer mocked Coleman to the Bills. He's going to be a polarizing one. He's going to be one where there's not a lot of separation, but there's a lot of athleticism, and you're going to have plenty of people scared off by the separation stuff. You've got guys that get drafted that, that have the physical gifts like that but that don't separate. Traylon Burks is that similar profile. It was, hey, he doesn't separate in college. And if you don't separate in college, you don't tend to separate in the pros. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, we're early in this process, combine, all that stuff. But the I think Coleman is going to be – there's going to be a knock on him, and it wouldn't surprise me if he went into the second – maybe third's too far down, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes into the second. All right. Don Granado, Sabres head coach, when we return. Thanks, Dennis, for the phone call. 803-0550 if you want to jump on as well. We'll talk some hockey with the Sabres head coach next. It's time to talk Sabres hockey. Let's get the inside story. Here's Sabres head coach, Don Granado. The Don Granado Show is being brought to you by Firth Jewelers. For all the moments in your life, go forth to Firth. By Losi and Ganji, workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys, working hard for hardworking Western New Yorkers. By Roy's Plumbing, just call Roy's today. We'll take the worry away. And by Town Ford. When you think Ford, think of Town Ford. 
Now with head coach Don Granado, here's Jeremy White and Joe DiBiase. Sabres head coach Don Granado joining us on the Western Hotline as we get things rolling on this sunny Tuesday. Joe's not in today. Sal is in with me, Jeremy White, Josh Schmidt producing, and uh, we say good morning to Sabres head coach Don Granado. Don, good morning. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Sal. And Jeremy, good morning. Good to talk to you. Th- th- thank you. Good to talk to you. Don. I wanted to. I wanted to start with um, something you talked about after yesterday's game. We can get to, to the game and, and a lot of stuff, uh, but the first thing I wanted to get to was you, you had a big, you had a long answer about the scoring is is going to come back and what you. The context of that was that you, you as an organization, coach, GM, play, you would have targeted specific things to get better at, and some of those things that you've targeted. You have indeed, you feel like you are getting better at, and the belief is that the scoring will come back. And I guess I just wonder if if what I can take that to mean is that these growing pains in terms of results are going to, in your mind, they're going to pay off. Like there is, there's a payoff at the end of what you guys are going through right now. There is no hesitation in me saying that, yes, that is, that is going to happen. Um, you know, I, I also mentioned I felt, I mean, we, and, and here's, we generated, if we didn't generate the number of scoring chances and the quality of them yesterday, um, you know, and you, and you don't do that and you don't get quality chances, uh, I would feel differently. Um, but we are, we are getting enough quality. We had, uh, we had more than enough quality to win that hockey game last night, um, you know, we talk about out. I've mentioned many times you have to outscore your mistakes. Everybody does. In the process, you you work to minimize your mistakes. So so don't you know that we shouldn't confuse that. I say you have to outscore your mistakes with it's okay to make mistakes and we're comfortable making lots of mistakes. We're not. We're we're shortening that. And, and yesterday was an unbelievable example of we made very few mistakes. Um, you know, the, the 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 other team obviously made made many many more mistakes than ours. We just didn't make them pay for it. Um, and that was that was the difference in the outcome. But yeah, if we weren't generating the chances, uh, you're with the guys each and every day. You you talk to them. You see their their psyche. They're 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 a little bit tight and, uh, when it comes to scoring, um, but have a better sense of objective in other areas. And um, and that's you know, unfortunately, the scoring has has caught us at times. Um, you know, it was it was okay the other night in Minnesota where it was a tight checking game and we scored. To late to tie it and then to win it in overtime, um, but last night was not the case. When it comes to the, these things you've targeted, this team defense, number of scoring chances given up, odd man rushes, like what are some of the things that, as fans are trying to see a difference between maybe last year and this year, and of course the the results in the standings, um, nobody's happy about. But what things are you seeing that are different that you feel like you can you can hang your hat on going forward? Well, I, you know, I think. Upi had a, had a a couple goals that I'm sure he would want back last night, um, and but his expectation and, and his belief and and and, uh, and our belief that he is moving into that number one goaltender category. Uh, there's reason for that uh, because of you know his his work over the last few months, his prog- his progress really over the last few months. His work's always been there, but his progress. Um, so that's one huge sign. Uh, another big sign is it, we were, you know, we've been without two of our top three defensemen uh, as far as, as minutes and performance are Samuelson and, and Owen Power. 
the last few games. That's that's more than 50 minutes of the game. I mean, they're, they're, they play about 25 apiece or, or somewhere about that. So you, you're missing two of your top three D for 50 minutes. You, 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 I think everybody knows last year when we missed just Samuelson, uh, we went on an eight-game skid, and it was a tough to replace just Matias a year ago. Um, so the, the defensive group has come a long way um, to the point that they can stabilize us from you know giving up um, you know what we gave up last year as far as chances against and 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 again that's this has all helped uh, um, you know Upi become better and, and more confident and comfortable with the consistency that he's seen back there. So that's just one example, but there are many others. On on Lukanen, you know, as we've talked about the goalies coming into the season, you mentioned you know all three were relatively inexperienced. You're trying to find out about them without putting a magic number on it. At what point do you feel like you can comfortably say about any goaltender in the NHL, well, this is who they are? I mean, Lukanen has shown for two months plus now to be not just a number one, but he's been a high-end number one in the last six weeks, eight weeks. How many games under a belt of a goaltender before you feel like you can comfortably get a good idea of what they are, what what, what they have grown into, where you stop saying they're inexperienced and you say, well, this is who he is? Yeah, I think I think Oopy's approaching that. I think Devin, you know, there's going to be some time before that's the case. But Oopy's approaching it as he sees and feels the game. You can see how he feels the game now. He's not rattled or overexcited or nervous. It's, uh, you know, he's he just got a he's got a better feel for things. You can see a more mature goaltender. Um, you know, on the other end of that question, just look at Stanley Cup winning goalies. Um, you know, this is a hard business on goalies. Not too many of those guys stay with their team even after they win a cup. <laughs> and you, you see them, you know, sprinkle around the league, whether that's Matt Murray or Marc-Andre Fleury or um, uh, Darcy Kempfer with Colorado. It just seems they, they – this is a hard business on goaltenders. Uh, so what we've uh, – you know, what we've been challenged with is to, to really – um, have two young guys in Levi and, and UPL. UPL needed waivers this year, so there was no way we were going to send him down, yet he hadn't proven he was a number one. So we were, we were in that situation, uh, and we really believe that uh, Devin Levi bringing another young guy in for UPI to see and, and have in a peer group, really that, that competition, peer competition between the two of them, I think catapulted UPI uh, quite a bit this year. I think you know prior to this year, He's looking at his mentorship and Craig Anderson and thinking, uh, you know, that even at the subconscious level, that man, I'm years away. You know, this guy's a 20-year vet. You know, I'll way off in the distance, I'll become a number one. And I think when Devin Levi stepped in here at the end of last year, we played him late in the year, and we played him early in the year for, for a big part of it was to give Devin some experience, but also get that competition going between two young guys and get them to be aware that one of you two. Um, and the hopes is both of you are going to seize this opportunity. And I think Oopi really, really stepped up from that point. Don, I want to go back to scoring chances you brought up. It's interesting. You guys are you're getting shots on goal. You're eighth in the league in total shots, but 27th in shooting percentage. You go to games and you always hear the people, shoot, shoot, right? People yell it. And I think I was probably one of those people one of the times, but, you know, back in the day. But now you, there's more there's more education about what's a good chance, what's not a good chance or a good um, decision, I should say. Can you kind of walk us through how you have that balance and how you teach that balance, knowing what a good shot is, what a bad shot is, and how the team has to kind of work through and navigate that throughout the game? 
Yeah, it's it's tricky. Uh, you know, it's it's team to team. Some teams are way stingier than others defensively, so you actually need a shot to loosen their coverage, even if it's not a great shot. Uh, you know, for instance, man-on-man coverage. You know, if everybody has their man, uh, and, and when you release a puck, if you pass it, the guy's covered. It's it's man-on-man. If you release a puck to the net, even though it, it might, you might not score on it, uh, you're going to break. Every man on the defensive team has to break their coverage, turn around, and look for the puck. So, um, so there's different scenarios where you want to shoot. I think uh, we've had guys, you know, we talk a lot, and there's been a lot of talk. We need more guys in front. But I, what's really missed in that is, is you, you need guys in front, absolutely. Uh, but the timing of it, the perimeter play, if you look at events before goals are scored, there's, there's time on the perimeter. And then penetration of the inside is timed with the shot. Uh, and that's really important. Um, and that's something that, you know, when you have, when you're feeling good, all of this stuff just works. Um, and, you know, and, and that's happened with us night to night, uh, but night to night, less consistent than a year ago. And we have guys that had career years, their, their absolute best years, uh, last year, multiple guys on our team. And now, you know, they feel like every missed shot from the start of the year is, Oh my God, I'm not going to get what I got last year. Uh, do I settle? Do I for, for one last, do I, and, and, and you can see the psych, the psyche of it or the psychology of it affecting them uh, to the point they're a little bit tighter. So, um, you know, I think all that's happened and happening and, and uh, I think guys will grow through it, but in the process, again, we're, we're there's other things are getting better at, which is really, it really important. Is, is that the difference from last year? Because you're actually on pace for more shots this year overall by volume, but you've gone from sixth in percentage to 27th this year is it mostly getting guys in front of the net and, or is there just a lot of puck luck involved? Like what, what's the explanation from going from 11 to 9.2 basically in shooting percentage? Is that as easy as that? Just finishing. I mean, just look at the chances last night, Uh, you know, Greenway breakaway goes through the five hole misses, Tage a breakaway, Tage five seconds or eight seconds later, uh, point blank in the slot missed. JJ Paterka point blank in the slot missed. Uh, JJ had partial breakaway missed. So those are I, I mentioned those because they're all quality. They're they're not. I mean they got all the way to the point where okay it's the shooter against the goaltender. Uh, so the process all the way up to that point worked, uh, but the finish didn't last night. Uh, as an example, Sabres head coach Don Granado joining us. Um, the Wester Hotline. Don, as we talk about Tage, you know, someone posted maybe a couple of days ago some of his highlights from last year, a lot of the stick handling and, and walking through entire defenses. And, you know, there's some parts of his game that appear to be right where they should be. Then there are other parts that might be missing. His, he's one whose shooting percentage is down 5%. So I think about the shooting percentage for Tage, but I also think about the way that he used to carry the puck last year. And is that something that is gone? Is that something that, that should come back? Is it because of the way teams are playing against your group? How, how do you get, how do you unlock the version of Tage that we all saw last year? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, I, I don't mean this to say he, he's down on confidence, but I think it's a confidence, uh, you know, a confidence issue with maybe frustration that he ca- carries forward as a really highly, highly competitive guy. Um, you know, I think when you watch those clips, uh, of highlights of Tage, um, it's it's probably noticeable in all of those if you if you rewatch them that there's somebody driving the defender back or preoccupying the defender 
which makes it easier for Cage to then exploit or skill to exploit at that point. Um, but there's, there's, you know, everything I said prior is, is part of, I think, with Tage. He's, he's, he puts a tremendous amount of pressure on himself. He has extremely high expectation of himself. That's why he had such an incredible year last year and last couple of years after previous years of major adversity. Uh, and, and I think this is a new, new territory for him, uh, new expectations for him within himself and, and even outside expectations. I think he's, he's, he's dealt with all of that as, as all star players and, and blooming star players do. Um, and again, I, I, I truly believe, well, he will, he'll come out the, the other side of this uh, even better. Um, and, and, the, you know, the hope is obviously the intent is to shorten that. Sabres head coach Don Granado joining us on the Western Hotline. Don, when it comes to expectations and pressure, I mean, like, you know how it works. When you when you took over, it was trying to dig a team out of a pretty deep hole. And this year is a, is a much different year. It's about expectations, and fans have their level of expectations. And I wonder your thought your thoughts on where things are with expectations right now. Like, what should fans' expectations be? Because it's been a year where – Kevin Adams at the beginning of the year said the Stanley Cup window is open and to be so far out of the playoffs, you know, people are kind of recalibrating. So if your message to the if you're sending a message to the fans, what should their expectation be from this team going forward? Well, my expectation is each and every night, you know, you have a game and 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 you're you're putting a strategy, a game plan together to win. Uh it's compete, it's playing as a group of 5. Um absolutely want passion, emotion, energy. Um, and that's been something that's been, been in and out, I think, due to, due to some pressure and guys thinking, you know, again, at a different level of expectation. Um, and they sometimes expect it to be perfect, to get frustrated very quickly, and then things get complicated. Um, but, you know, I guess if I'm thinking, you're asking me a question I haven't, you know, I don't sit every day and think about uh, an answer to that. And, and, and I think, you know, if I think about the fans, um, you know, part of the excitement and, and passion, love for me uh, is being here is the fans. Um, I was, you know, first um, here as a scout with the Toronto Maple Leafs. This was one of my primary teams to cover, and I'd come in quite often, and I'd stay. Uh, no scout stays till the end of the game. They usually get out of the parking lot with about three minutes left. Uh, I can remember staying here to the end of the game because this building was just electric. Um, so for me, you know, I know that the fan base is extremely passionate. Um, and when you have that, there's obviously until you win and, and, and win, you know, uh, you know, championships and playoff performance, um, there's, there's things that there's lots of things that'll be frustrating. Um, and the only thing I can tell you is, is, um, you know, when I think of fans, they're in my mind because we want to make them proud. Um, but I do believe we're in the process of doing that. And, um, you know, we demand the guys to work hard every day, and I think they care and do that. To, to that point, there, there was a story Mike Harrington in the Buffalo News had about how the players felt about boos from time to time. There was a chant in the arena. Not like the entire arena is thundering with the words, but Fire Donnie came out from some fans, and the players wanted to respond to that. And there was also a note in Mike's column about not coming out to salute the fans after wins. And I just wonder if you feel that there's some sort of 
whatever, tension between the players and the expectations of the players and the fans. And no one, no one wants to get booed at home when that happens. No one wants to boo their own team. I just wanted your feeling on, on all of that, on that ecosystem that seems to exist between player and fan right now. Yeah, that, that is uh, my, as I sort out all those, what you mentioned there, uh, I think it fits very well with what I think is, is a, is is an occurrence or is happening and our guys you know when 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 they do get booed it hurts them that and it hurts them because they care it doesn't if they didn't care it wouldn't hurt them um and and i don't know of any you know any, uh and any any action reaction is because of that they they you know they take a lot of pride in being a buffalo saber and and they take a lot of pride in buffalo uh they have lots of friendships developed here um lots of guys have signed long term contracts here ahead of time ahead of going to the to the market uh and and potentially getting more um and they they've done it because they love being here and i can tell you that for sure and i can remember the first times that that that, that happened where you would hear it um it hit the guys hard uh, for that reason, because they care, they feel, you know, and they don't want to let anybody down. So I think it affects them uh, and it has affected them. It's an unfortunate, I think it's just part of, you know, it's part of sports and, and, and I think you just need to, to learn to, to, you know, to deal with it. Things can't, you know, things can't affect your play, even though they hurt you uh, uh, to the degree you care about it. Um, and that, that's what I would say on it. In my observation of our guys, um, they care. Don, any update on Owen Power you can give us? Any other injuries as well? And if I may, do you know uh, how Kevin Pollock is doing, the referee that um, came out of the game yesterday? Yeah, I, I got a report on him that obviously he wasn't going to return and the injury right. um, it's a lower body injury and it, it doesn't look good for him for the, you know, for, for, it's not going to be a week to week. It might cost him a season based on what I heard. Now uh, that's not official, obviously, because I just heard sure. it. Uh, he had follow-ups, uh, you know, after an imaging to find out definitive, um, but it didn't look good uh, for him. And Sal, your, your other question, I apologize. Owen Power, sorry. One more. Oh, Owen. Uh, Owen, he can skate with his injury. Um, it's an upper body injury, so he's he's been conditioning. I would say, um, you know, we we were hopeful that you know at, toward the end of this week, um, but I don't I don't see that happening. Um, I think he's going to be a little bit longer, uh, but it should be in the range within uh, I would say, um, you know, ten days from now. Um, would would probably be what we're hoping for. I just want to say, point out how you, even with the referee getting hurt, you went to lower body injury. Yeah, I know. You didn't want to say, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a, well, you know, what's interesting. I always feel like, I always feel it's pretty disrespectful. I, I you know, I mean, the, to, to even the players, like the other players on the team are going to target where you're hurt. Yeah. So, you know, these guys, we've got guys walking around on crutches. We've got guys with arms in their, you know, an arm, their arm in a sling. I mean, you know, it's easy to forget the beating these guys take and, and the soreness that they go to work the next day. And, And you know how pro sports are. If, if they know Tage Thompson has a, you know, injured hip, they're, they're going to go at that harder, harder. So, 
um, you know, that's why it's, it's, it's always, I've always felt out of, out of respect for the players. It's, it's tough to, to say the injury because you know, the other team is going to go right after. Sure. Sure. Don Granado. Thanks Don. And best of luck through the week. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Don Granado's appearance on WGR here brought to you by Firth Jewelers for all the moments in your life. Go forth to Firth by Losi and Ganji workers compensation and personal injury attorneys working hard for hardworking Western New Yorkers by town Ford. When you think of Ford, think of town Ford and by Roy's plumbing, just call Roy's today. We'll take the worry away. Jeremy and Sal here sells in for Joe. Let's talk about Gabe Davis's Instagram post. This is not a cryptic mm-hmm. one. I don't think this is just an eight minute video of highlights and stats and what a lot of Bills fans are taking to mean goodbye. It's uh, going to be tied in nicely, Sal, in terms of timing with your State of the Bills wide receiver room because yep. this is the first time they will not have Gabe Davis in that room in four years. At least it certainly looks like it's going to go that way. We'll get to that on the other side. You want to throw a phone call our way, 803-0550. We'll be happy to have you. Jeremy and Sal, Josh Schmidt producing here on WGR. Looking downfield, he's got Gabe Davis over the shoulder, out of the 15, and he drives his way into the end zone for the touchdown. Well, Gabe Davis chatter for you. Davis posting on Instagram a highlight video and some of his stats. Feels like we're saying goodbye to Gabe today. Jeremy White, Sal Capaccio, sells in for Joe today. And Josh Schmidt's producing. Today's the day to open the franchise tag window. If the Bills wanted to keep Gabe Davis for one more run at it, if they had the room, they could franchise tag him. We, of course, do not expect that. Davis posting on his Instagram a lot of stats. And, you know, Sal, there's a, there's a point or there's a question here. There's a point to be, to be made, possibly. Maybe Davis feels underappreciated. And that wouldn't surprise me if he felt that way. He's been a good player for the Bills. And the salary cap means you often move on from good players, from players that you like. Other decisions along the way led us to this moment, this this day where Davis ultimately leaves. But one of the things I'll say to kind of kick off this conversation, if anybody wants to give us a call on this, 803-0550, I, I just want to keep saying, even though I'm I'm of the belief the Bills should move in a different direction, let him go and draft a receiver, I want to make sure I say enough times, Gabe Davis is a success story, a massive success story mm. himself and the Bills. You draft a guy four in the fourth round and he does this, that is a home run 100 times out of 100. So it's a, it's a little bit of a good job, Bills. He's so good he can't stay, and you have to go get another one. Okay, so, you know, first I want to say that, like, you know, Gabe, you're right, 100%. Like, there, there's always this talk. It's got to be either it was a bust or a great pick, or, you know, we do that a lot with picks. Gabe Davis is a, a very good draft pick for where he was drafted. He has really, essentially, you know, outplayed his draft status. Wouldn't you say that, Jeremy? He's outplayed I, 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 his draft status. Right. I would, even, sure. I would even, I wouldn't go too far off of saying if he was a second round pick, it's not a bad pick. He's had a nice career. Right. He's not been perfect, but he's had a really nice career. And now you're deciding, you know, like, okay. Uh, you got to go somewhere else to get the big money. All right, I have I have talked to many people about Gabe Davis over the last year and a half, as you know, and you know where he fits in, what his status is, because he's just this. He is a unique guy because he's got these really good numbers where you look at and go, "Oh my God, look what he's doing here!" But he's not in the, amongst the elite of the league, and he's going to be a free agent. You can't pay him that. Like it's it's a really tough spot, I think, for the team and for him. And the reason I say it for him is, 
I'm going to tell you right now, it's 8.38 on February 20th, and Gabe Davis is scheduled to become a free agent in, what, five, six weeks. Gabe Davis still wants to be in Buffalo. I, I know that with 100% of my knowledge of everything about the situation. He would love to stay in Buffalo. This is going to come down to, though, a business decision for him and how much the Bills can make it work. Because the other part of it is, the Bills absolutely would love to keep Gabe Davis. There's no doubt in my mind about that. He is, you have pointed out, you know this, he is the perfect DNA for the player that they want to have in this organization. For everything he's done, for everything he's meant, not just on the field, obviously, and some of the big plays he's made and the catches, but for what he means off the field and how hard he works. And the guy is named a team captain in only his fourth year. It's very rare under this regime for a player of his age to, in contract status, to be named a team captain. For final year of a uh, fourth-round pick of his rookie deal, like, and a captain, like, that just speaks volumes. So I'm telling you, like, I don't completely shut the door here because I think there's a want to on both sides. But the issue, of course, is the money. And he's earned every opportunity and right to go out and be a free agent. He should. And Gabe, go get what you got, man. I mean, like, I, hey, whoever it is, go get what you earned. If you want to go and get paid, you've earned that. You only have a finite time in this league to go get paid. You go do that. Yep. It is hard to justify what the Bills can pay him. And I'm just wondering, like, where that is for the Bills. Where, how high would they be willing to go? Because I don't think it's as easy to me, Jeremy. The way I read this, it is not as easy to me of Brandon Bean just going, yeah, we're not going to be able to pay him, so good luck. And, you know, hey, we're really not interested in you coming back. They're going to actually, they're going to be invested in what he's making and if they can do something to counter that. You know what I mean? So yeah. my question is where that goes. i got two names for you to think about that could be potential Davis career arcs. One is, of course, Jordan Poyer. Bills fans would say, like, hey, he thought he was going to get big money, went out of the market, didn't get it, came back. I don't think that's necessarily likely for Davis, the, the Jordan, Jordan Poyer arc. But you know what might be? Jordan Phillips. Jordan Phillips left, got paid big money, came back. And he came back, and maybe he's in the same player. But, Sal, I'm thinking about Jordan Phillips or Shaq Lawson, for that matter. And Davis might rate more highly than them. But it's possible Davis goes somewhere for a year or two, gets paid big money. And then after that, you know, a little bit older, he's back here as a role player. Yeah. I mean, it's not It's not like – and this is this is probably a point you bring up with Bean. Why won't he – trash Davis and say we got to get better because in two years that guy might be back here you just never know there's no reason to burn a bridge and for Davis I think the 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 flaws in Davis's game were whatever if you want to say flaws or whatever they were they were apparent for a long time and I think the Bills are responsible for putting him in a spot he probably shouldn't have been in he's a perfect role player for this team and if they had drafted another guy in there to kind of help shoulder the load, then Davis wouldn't look like a guy who has come up short all the time. It's all about elevating him to a full wide receiver two status in this offense that seems to have not really worked on a level and limited their passing game. So I have I have good things to say about Davis, but I am eager to see the Bills be better at that position and maybe more diverse at that position in terms of the things you can get out of your number number one and number two receiver. I mean, we have too many conversations about digs right now. I understand that's how it works. But I'm just firmly of the belief that if they were to get a stud on the other side across from digs, this offense would be unstoppable. And I, it's one of the reasons that while you know I'm going to see people fading them this year and like all oh, the windows closing, the right receiver added to this offense, and I just I think they'll be the big they'll be a wagon. How would you stop them? They'd have they'd have weapons everywhere. 
and their line would be coming back. I mean, their offense is almost fully built except for the Davis replacement and maybe some depth at that receiver spot. Yeah, I, right. It, and how do you – it's not even just about Gabe. Like, this doesn't come down to necessarily even – there's, of course, it's the player himself. You always want to do that in the evaluation of the player. It's also the asset allocation to a number two wide receiver versus a number one wide receiver and, you know, how that gets structured, <laughs> how your team – doles out its financial structure, its percentage of contracts. They're already paying big money to Stefan Diggs, of course, right? Like how much can you spend to spread that money around at the wide receiver room? Those are all things that you have to consider. And I'm sure that Brandon Bean is. And look, I, I and I I know like you're right. What they're you want to see them kind of be aggressive and you kind of do some different things here. But if there's one thing we learn about Brandon Bean for right or wrong, like he's going to try and make it work with the guys that have been a part of this group that have been successful. And you could say that that is loyalty to a fault. There is no doubt you can make that argument. Um, and maybe that's happened sometimes. But a young player going into his fifth year, still young, captain, all the things that we just talked about, I have every reason to believe that Brandon Bean will at least attempt and try to see if they can work something out. He's not going to go overboard. But if he can make it work out, he'll make it work out. And I think that the reaction of the fans, if, if we find out, if we find out sometime this week, sometime at the Combine next week, that suddenly there's an alert, Jeremy, that you get that yep. says the Bills and Gabe Davis had agreed on a contract extension. And it's not, you know, $12 million a year. Let's say it's $7, 8000000 a year. They give him some really nice money up front. There's going to be, they're going to be like, there's going to be some fans that go, great, love having Gabe back. There's going to be a lot of fans that go, I can't believe you did that. Like, how how do you now that's going to prevent you from doing the next thing you need to do at wide receiver? This guy, it's a polarizing situation. Sure. So I remember, I mean, the wide receiver conversation in the draft has been here for years. And I can remember last year in the offseason when they signed Deontay Hardy and Sherfield, people saying, well, so much. I guess that answers the wide receiver question. And I thought, no way. Mm. Like, they still need to add one. If it comes across like, hey, they, they re they re up with Davis on a cheap deal, which would be very hard to believe because why would he do that ahead of free agency? But, you know, like entertaining the idea, if he's brought back on a cheap deal, then I can get with that as long as they, they have to draft one. The, the biggest problem is, and, you know, it's funny, like there's a million steps along the way to Davis ultimately leaving the Bills, if, the, in fact, that happens. Would you agree that the number one thing that makes him leave the Bills is that Dawson Knox got paid? Because to me, that's the, that was the moment he was gone, mm. is when Dawson Knox got paid. Now Knox is paid and they drafted a tight end. And you'll have plenty of people speculating about a Knox trade or what happens there. But he's another one that the Bills love, right? Everything about the person that he is, the way that he works, how often he's on the field, whether they want to be multiple and 12 personnel and all this. But I felt like the day they signed Dawson Knox to a big extension was the day Gabe Davis was going to leave. Boy, I don't want to go as far as it's just the number one reason. It's certainly a part of it, though, because all that matters. I think I think restructuring Stefan Diggs' deal matters. Like how much you're investing in him now. This is why they can't trade Stefan Diggs essentially, right? They restructured his deal a couple of years ago, and he's making such a big number, and it'll be so tough to get out of. You have that. Then you have using a first round pick on Dalton Kincaid, right? I mean, that's another one. Um, the asset you use there. So I don't know, but yeah, I agree with you, Jeremy. It's certainly a part of it. Now, you could also structure a deal with Gabe Davis where maybe in a year you get out of Dawson Knox's deal, you save some money, you're a lower cap hit on Gabe, and then his money kind of replaces Dawson Knox. So I don't disagree that that's a part of it. I don't know and would say it's the number one thing. It is interesting you say about, hey, you go a couple years somewhere. You know the guy I think of for that sometimes? 
I wonder if this team, like, that feels like something, like, could happen with Harrison Phillips down the road. I yeah. always think about him for this. Like, they didn't want to lose him. He's He's got all the de- – like, Harrison Phillips was the guy I never – I did not th- think they'd lose because he's everything that the Bills want in a player. And then he got paid a little bit more by the Vikings and the Bills were willing to give him. The Bills went out and signed, what, Mario Addison, Quentin Jefferson that year. But I always thought to myself, that's the kind of guy that's going to play a few years somewhere else and he's going to come back to Buffalo for a few years. 803-0550. Connect with our fans. Brought to you by Northtown Kia. Shop on Northtown Kia. Shop online at NorthtownKia.com. Scott in Puerto Rico, quickly. Hey, Scott. Morning, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, I just wanted to Good. say, I, I, I don't think we're going to keep Davis. I think his limited route tree has kind of held back the offense. And I always come back to, you remember when they lost to the Vikings last year? Patrick Peterson made a comment that said, oh, we, know what, we knew what route he was going to run. He's very limited. We kind of know what he's always going to do. And I think... Davis's limited route tree. He's only really running maybe two or three routes. I think that holds the offense back, and I think the number one priority in drafting a receiver should be getting a guy who can run, you know, four to five different routes, you know, so the secondary isn't so keyed in on them. And I'm admittedly not a college football fan. Who do you think fits that mold of a guy who has all those routes? Thanks, Scott. It's funny, like, right now there's – there, there's a lot of need for a receiver for the Bills, and there's a lot of different answers, a lot of different roads they could take, Sal. Like, who would be the best? Marvin Harrison Jr., Malik Neighbors, and Roma Dunze. But those guys are all going top ten, probably. The next name, and I don't know if you've been doing this, I've seen a lot of mock drafts where after Adunze, there's a good wait, and then there's going to be a run. And this is going to be key to watching the draft. A lot of times the fourth name I see off the board is Brian Thomas Jr. of LSU. That'd be a guy that'd be a good idea for the Bills. There's there, there's so many options. Troy Franklin. Troy Franklin, more of a, spe- a speedster, does a lot of things. Troy Franklin's another good idea out of Oregon. You know, who's the right guy that does the full route tree? I'm just starting to like really dig into all these guys. I've been watching a lot of them. You know, who separates and who doesn't? The reality is they have room for two. And whether they like a big body early and a small guy late or two middle-sized guys, separators will be key. And there's going to be no shortage of options. Javon Baker is one I'm seeing a lot from UCF. He's like he's seeing his stock move up a little bit as people start to like the idea of him. Lad McConkey. I mean, they what they don't need is slot. Shakir is already looking to like lock that down, and they have Kincaid over the middle as well. They need a boundary receiver. There's going to be a lot about vertical game and stretching the field, but but I tend to be with with the caller there about you want the guy to do everything possible, and that that's that's play on the outside. That's why you know, the idea of the day is Marvin Harrison Jr. If you can vote in our Twitter poll, um, Brian Thomas Jr. is one that I think is there's a lot of this mocking of. I think Josh Norris had it yesterday. Brian Thomas Jr. to the Bills. He is uh, he's a good idea. Pretty much consensus like fourth or fifth or sixth best receiver in this draft. That'd be the name I'd be keying in on right now. Troy Franklin's another one, Brian Thomas Jr. And we'll see like how, how this class falls because, you know, so you can go in with all these ideas and then the draft starts to happen and, you know, it's happening to you. You've got to, you've got to play the draft as much as it plays you. Thanks for the phone call. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be uh, 
quite ironic or interesting or whatever if they replaced Gabe Davis with Javon Baker out of UCF as well in the middle rounds, right? Just got to go from one to the other. By the way, I think Baker started his career at Alabama, went to UCF. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that would be interesting. There are a lot of guys there. I just I, I wouldn't close the door completely on Gabe just knowing what he feels about Buffalo and knowing what the Bills feel about him. But this is a business, and it's about finances, and I don't think the Bills are going to, you know, go to the wall to break the bank for sure. And I think, you know, if Gabe gets that opportunity, he sh- he should. He should jump on it. I mean, that's what you play this game for and to be in this position for. Yeah. One thing on Thomas, he is 6'4", so like the, the, the size of a Davis maybe, big, but he does more short stuff and has done more short stuff. Burst and speed in the open field are dev- devastating, and that's not something that we've said about Davis. Like, there's, there's burst. Davis was a get-to-top-speed guy, and then his top speed was great. They need somebody that can, that can get open a little quicker, beat man coverage maybe more frequently. Anyway, 803-0550. Thanks for the phone call. More of your calls on the other side. It's, uh, it's a Tuesday, and franchise tag day in the NFL, it opens up today. They've got weeks to actually decide. And uh, we've got a rumor on a player the Bills should pursue if he doesn't get tagged. Are you ready for it? I tweeted it, Sal. Are you ready? Are you ready mm-hmm. to get back into the running mm-hmm. back business? Saquon Barkley. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> Dan Graziano, is that who it was? The Bills should go after Saquon Barkley. Oh, Here we are. Oh, my God. We are back, baby. Jeremy White and uh, Sal Capaccio with you here on WGR. Josh, every once in a while, lets us know whose birthday it is or dates in history with songs. Going uh, to break, Sal. He said, it's Rihanna's birthday. What Rihanna song should I play? And I said, oh, uh, we found love. Like, let's go. And you, as a professional wedding dancer, <laughs> this is a jam. This is a jam. Any, any, jam's a jam. any song's a jam to me at a wedding. That's right. <laughs> Rihanna's birthday. What else going on today? Anything? It's February 20th. Phil Esposito's birthday, too. All right. Legendary hockey player. Oh. Um, we've also got Sidney Crawford. Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford, sorry. Cindy Crawford. Uh, comedian Trevor Noah. I love Trevor Noah. He's great. Uh, Miles Teller. Trevor Noah's book is very good. Born a Crime. Great book. And then also on this day in sports history, Gordie Howe scores his 1,800th point in a 6-5 Red Wings win over the Buffalo Sabres. Mm. I'm glad you got to that, because I owe you guys a stat of the day, and I've got the stat of the day, which is brought to you by Seneca Gaming in Irving, home of the biggest bingo payouts and slot machines with thousands one daily. Stat of the day is brought to you by Seneca Gaming in Irving. So you may have seen there was a crazy game between Minnesota and Vancouver with three hat tricks. Three hat tricks in the same game. That has happened before that there have been three hat-tricks in the same game. It's happened a handful of times. Only once has it happened where there were four hat-tricks in the same game. The Montreal Canadiens had four hat-tricks in the same game in 1920. They beat the Quebec Bulldogs (laughs) 16-3 and had four hat-tricks. There you go. Four hat-tricks in the same game. It's only happened once. I was looking at the list of hat-tricks in a game, and the Sabres have a game with two hat tricks in it bonus points to either of you if you can remember the last time they had two hat tricks in the same game was i even alive for it you were Hmm. 
Yeah, I don't think it's got. I don't think if it goes too too far back. It's not. I think there was a time and period in there with the like oh, like somewhere in the early two thousands or to mid two thousands. Somewhere in there you could go. Probably more recent than that. It's late two thousands. Okay. Okay. I want to guess late two thousands. Thomas Vanek and Jason Pollenville. That's your guess on who it was? The, the the two players, yeah. I have no idea when, but if I'm just guessing those are the players based on your time. It would have been hold on, let me let me Hold on. Don't give the answer yet. Okay, yeah. You. I've got the two names. I, I remember the game very well and I can tell you exactly why I remember the game so well. Okay, so two hat tricks in the same say... game. Ryan O'Reilly and Jack Eichel. It was Derek Roy and Drew Stafford. Each had a hat trick in a game against the Atlanta Thrashers. The Sabres won 10-1 to and beat Atlanta. This is January 18th, 2008. And if you want to know why I remember this game so well, Sal, it's because I was heading to Toronto with friends listening to the game on the radio. The Sabres were playing the Leafs the next night in Toronto. We were going to go to Toronto to see the Sabres at the Leafs. And listening to them demolish the Thrashers, 10-1 to 1 was nice. And then we saw them lose to the Leafs in Toronto the next night. Like, oh, man, 10 goals, all right, playing great. Up in Toronto, loss, unfortunately. Good times. You know, I, I, I get, I, I'm not going to blame you for this. It's going to be my fault. But I was, th- I literally thought that I heard that Drew Stafford had been like I saw him like there was something recently about this date in history, and Drew Stafford had a hat trick. So I was thinking it could be him. But I went off that because you said late two thousands. Yeah. So that got me to more of like the twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. Oh, is that me just saying no, 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 no? That you know what I mean? Like when I said mid two thousands, you said no, and then you said it was oh eight, and I think that I think that is mid two thousands. I think that's late. It's a good question here. The aughts. I should have said aughts. Because 2016 is mid 2010s, and I was trying. What I was trying to communicate. Yeah, so, was, yeah that's not. That's okay. on me. Yeah, that's I on me. You, I should have yeah. said aughts when you said early 2000s, and said like oh four or oh, okay. Yeah, aughts. The, too, the, the late aughts. <laughs> but that's the 0708 Sabers. You know, 0506, 0607, and this is 0708. They were not great, but they were not horrible, and they were playing the Thrashers. Remember the Thrashers? What is there to remember about the Thrashers? Thrashers. They once had uniforms where the the name went down one arm. No, it was Atlanta Atlanta. Thrashers. Yeah, like both arms. One had Atlanta, one had Thrashers, I thought. Or maybe I thought it was only one arm. I distinctly remember both arms having words on them. Maybe it was Thrashers down both. Yeah. Baby Blue. I think what I remember about the Atlanta Thrashers is they look too much like the Nashville Predators. Atlanta's trying to get back in the game, too. No, you're right. It was one arm. One arm? Yeah. The left arm. 803-0550. Didn't they have that same kind of color as the Predators, like in one of their uniforms one year or something? Or am I wrong? No. I'm looking at their uniforms now. They're more blue. and I, I thought they were more yellow like that. I guess I'm wrong. All right. Mustard. They had a, did they have a mustard? No. The Predators yeah, did. Yeah, the Predators did, did no. but not the Thrashers. No, the Thrashers, okay. it's like baby blue, okay. white. They had a red one. Yeah, with nice. Thrashers written okay. across the front. That was pretty cool. Bring back the Thrashers. All right. 803-0550. Into the wide receiver idea of the day. Twitter poll we've got. And, uh, you know, Gabe Davis's. it's not a goodbye. It's just uh, a mixtape dropped on everyone's doorstep, really. He posted something on Instagram with the little heart hand emoji and his stats with the Bills as we get ready for franchise tag window opening, which is uh, today. We are not expecting Davis to be franchise tagged. 
Jeremy White, Sal Capaccio here on WGR. Now Logano the outside. They can't get around. Whoa! Kozlowski gets turned by William Byron. Blaney gets caught up. Gilliland, Truex, Hamlin, and more. That way. You, just, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. I mean, it's a parking lot down there. The big wreck at Daytona yesterday. I turned the race on for a few minutes. My kids are cars obsessed. We're in a cars phase, which is really fun. And I am addicted to Facebook Marketplace and constantly buying new cars. Sal, so got, we've got so many of the cars and some that are harder to get than others. And when I turned the Daytona 500 on, I thought, like, oh, my kids, they're going to like this race because they like watching, they like watching, you know, the cars races. And my daughter said, I can't see their eyes about the cars. Like, oh, yeah, they, no, they don't have eyes, honey. They're just cars actually driving around the track. Anyway, it was a good, it was a good idea. Maybe see if they like Daytona. We did not see the big wreck, though. Although if we had seen the big wreck, my son would have expected one of the cars to jump over all the others like Lightning McQueen does. I know. Cars is an older movie, and I'm making all these references to Cars, which was out in... Cars was my childhood. It's right, right. That, that, was, that was my go-to Disney movie. Yeah. It was the best thing in cinema Let me tell you, in 2006. I say this to my wife all the time. It is a great movie. It is a great movie. I actually really like it. So when they want to watch it every once in a while, every day, uh, you know, I don't always push back. Good morning. Jeremy and Sal with you here on uh, WGR Daytona yesterday. Free agency in the NFL is still a little ways off, but the franchise tag window opens today. So here comes speculation on who will and won't get tagged. And we've seen some social media from Gabe Davis on what looks like a goodbye to Buffalo. You know, it's not like he hits the market today, but... He may have been informed he's not getting the franchise tag. Not that that was maybe ever really in consideration. But here we go. We're, we're, we're looking to the future for the Bills and likely Davis going somewhere else. The list of Bills free agents really isn't any franchise tag canon. We went through it. They haven't franchise tagged the guy since 2016. That was Cordy Glenn, and they only used that to get a contract done. The time before that would have been Jarris Bird, Nate Clements, John Fina, and Peerless Price. Those are the five in franchise history. So, Sal, we've got a, a Twitter poll up, our wide receiver idea of the day, which was sent in mm-hmm. to me by a couple different listeners, and I've posted the I posted a poll. And you know how it works. You 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 do this. You post something online, and people want to yell at you for simply saying, like, here, let's see where everybody stands on this question, right? Like, trade everything for Marvin Harrison Jr. I've got a lot of people calling me names. Because they think it's such a bad idea. I also think the Bills should not trade everything for Marvin Harrison Jr., third pick in the draft. But nearly 40% of Bills fans would. And I think that's a big number. Trades like this are fun. There's no doubt about that, right? The the last, or the I guess a, a little bit of a parallel will be the Sammy Watkins trade, where the Bills are ninth and they move to fourth to get their pick at wide receiver. And that trade was received with some criticism, but also excitement because, you know, it works out. Like, you get excited when you get a receiver like that. If the Bills were to trade for Marvin Harrison Jr., I would have to come on the next day and say how I think it's a bad move while I was logged into the NFL shop buying a jersey. You know, like, this is a fun move, but I don't think they would they, that they should do this move. 
Yet here's 40% of Bills fans saying, yes, I would do that. And I think it kind of drives home how many people are ready for this offense to get a massive boost for the next phase of Josh Allen's career. Yeah, and again, the different kinds of stages you go through when you're a team like the Bills that have this window because of your franchise quarterback. And, you know, again, referring back to my conversation last week with Evan Lazar of, you know, the Patriots, and he he broke it down really well where, you know, you had that first group of Patriots teams that, you know, Brady was, he wins three and four years, but, you know, the guys he's throwing to Rache Caldwell and, you know, there's different guys that didn't, and then, of course, Gronk and Hernandez come along, right, and there were the, the tight ends and, then they kind of transition. It was a lot of defense. And then they go to that really juggernaut offense with, you know, Randy Moss and outscoring everybody and just blowing teams away and, you know, going undefeated. They actually lose the Super Bowl. They didn't win a Super Bowl for 10 years. It was kind of interesting, right, Jeremy, when they go through that kind of model of just outscoring everybody and they didn't win a Super Bowl for 10 years, although they went to a couple of them. And they kind of ebbed back the other way and um, started doing a little bit different again. And, you know, defense came back around. We're different different ways they did it. And I keep thinking about the bills for this, which is what's the next stage of how they want to build their team. Because last year they didn't have that explosiveness they had through the first few years of this Josh Allen window. They didn't just go and score a ton of points and 30 points a game. Yeah, they were still highly ranked in as far as scoring, but wasn't a consistent basis last year. I think you need to get back to that a little bit. That's what they've been missing. And the question is, do you do that by, going out and getting guys, young guys in the draft you can hold on to for a few years. Because if you hit, if you go out and get a couple guys this year, draft two of them, and you hit on them, boy, we are rolling for the next few years, right? I mean, like, can you imagine having two rookie contracts, wide receivers who hit pretty immediately? I think that would be the perfect scenario. Yep. It is just very, very hard to project that that's going to happen at that position in this window because those guys have to come in and play right away. There, there's a point here about, you know, you're, you're coming in and playing with Josh Allen, so you have a leg up, right? And he, if you're a receiver drafted to the Bills, one would think that the – I've used the, the term ecosystem a few times this morning, but the, the, the ecosystem for a rookie receiver would be very nice, a great place to go. And whether you're learning from digs or not having so much pressure on you because you've got – Diggs and Kincaid and James Cook in the offense, and Josh Allen for that matter, of course. Like No one's going to be thinking, you need to save everybody's bacon here. So I feel like there's a, there's a good environment for a rookie receiver, whereas if that receiver goes to New England, it's different. New England doesn't have a lot of weapons. New England doesn't have a quarterback who even knows who their starting quarterback is going to be. So with that said, like... You know, you wonder about busts, and if a guy that has busted in the past, if he got a different opportunity, if it would have gone any better for him. And I, that, that's one of the things I feel about with this, with this Bills group is it'll be hard. Famous last words, right, Sal? I know what you're going to tell me. Famous last words. I feel like it would be hard for the Bills to miss on receiver here because if you get a guy who's talented and you plug him in with this offense, I think he'll be fine. And this is a this is not to take anything away from Gabe Davis, but a lot of people that are seeing Davis post on Instagram today all his stats, there are a lot of people that are saying like, yeah, that's what the number two receiver in this offense can do with a stud quarterback and a stud number one on the other side of the field. It's such a favorable environment that you should have those kind of numbers. Yeah, right. That that's right. And they haven't tried it, right? I mean, the last uh, Gabe has been their highest. Drafted wide receiver in the Brandon Bean era. They drafted Zay Jones in the second round. Bean wasn't here for that draft. That was 2017. <coughs> that was McDermott only. 
um, you know, in, in old old regime before uh, they they got rid of Doug Whaley. So they haven't tried it. I don't know for sure. Like I I I guess my hang up sometimes, Jeremy, is this thought. You say that it's hard not to, and I agree with that. I I, I do think that's right. And it's not like you're just throwing darts at the wall. You're going to evaluate the guy. Yes. Right. You're going to be like, well, I mean, you're going to have a conviction, and this is the guy. He's going to fit for us. There's no doubt about that. I agree with that. But, man, like you also have – it is not like you're walking into the Carolina Panthers and they're resetting the organization and you can have time. Like we talk about you know, putting guys and trusting guys. And for right or wrong, we know how the organization treats younger players sometimes with the Mars trust. I'll always point out they play younger players more than people think they do. But there is a trust factor that McDermott talks about a lot, which is true. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to walk into a Josh Allen offense in a Super Bowl window – that learning curve can't take long if you're drafting him in the first or second round. It just can't. And that's what scares me. If you're going to do it, he better hit right away. Because if you're wrong even the littlest, yeah. then we're having same conversations next year. Right. Throwing away prime years of Allen. I guess that's where a spot where do you think it'd be possible for them to trade for one? What if they don't want to wait? Let, let's talk about the Ayuk idea. Right. Ayuk, like they did with Stefan Diggs, by the way. Exactly. And I'm very, very high in Brandon Ayuk. I, I think he's a tremendous receiver, a true number one. Matt Harmon, who runs a website, Reception Perception, he's on with the afternoon show today at 4 o'clock, and he's very high on Ayuk, as he should be. Like Ayuk is a guy that led the league in yards per target this year. He only got 100 targets. A, a, a good example of someone that did that once before and run heavy offense was Stefan Diggs. Like Diggs was number one or two in the NFL in yards per target and then came to a team that targeted him more and started getting, you know, 1500 yards in a season. Here's Ayuk in a run heavy offense getting 1300 yards. I don't know that the Bills would want to do it because they can just go out and get a receiver that's cheap. And and if you miss, then it's a, a cheap miss. Ayuk you could I saw Greg Thompson cover one. He laid out just a contract, very basic, 5 years, 120 million and you can keep the cap hit low. Would the Bills do that? Would they consider doing the Diggs thing again? It did work. I wonder if Bean would think, yeah, I could draft a rookie receiver or I could get myself a ready-made product and never have to wait and never have to wonder because that's what made the Diggs deal so good, Sal. They basically, the price they paid was development, trust, and just getting a guy that is a pro day one when he showed up. And Diggs... Since he showed up, Diggs and Allen have had more yards and catches and touchdowns than like any pair in the NFL. So you've had a success story in that department. I wonder if Bean would be open to it again. Maybe that's not Ayuk. Maybe that's somebody else, like a, a second-round receiver. But, you know, guys might be available out there. Yeah, I mean, there are, again, there are going to be guys that come in that they're going to take flyers on. K.J. Hamler's one of them. I brought him up earlier. Andy Isabella is still on this team. Like these are not guys; they're big names. They don't move the needle necessarily for people, but they're going to try and figure out ways to get cheaper guys who might be able to hit and say, "Okay, we got them." It's what they did with Hardy last year. It's what they did with um, Sherfield last year. Which, by the way, Trent Sherfield is going to be a free agent. I actually think that they could get him back for a vet minimum deal. Like, okay, you want to run that back? Justin Shorter was on IR all last year. But these guys are the same kinds of guys that they've really kind of been bringing in over the last several years. What we're talking about here, your wide receiver idea of the day, what we talk about when it comes to the draft is taking a big swing. It hasn't happened. And you want to trade for one? 
That's fine. Like, I'm not opposed to it, Jeremy, but you got the contract comes with it. By the way, IU is scheduled for, what, $14 million next year in base salary? Yes. And then you talk about the contract, you'd have to rework it because he's got his, his option there. I think, isn't that next year's his fifth-year option they picked up, right? Is that what that is, I think? That's right. $14 million, I think, for that? Okay, so you get the contract that comes with it. You could always massage around that. But what's the asset you're also giving up? Like, you have to, you're probably giving up your first-round pick for Brandon Ayuk. And if you're fine with that, that's cool. It's what they did for Stefan Digg, right time. I would say, though, is that better than drafting someone who, as you said, you think they can hit? That's a rookie contract. Look right at the Diggs-Jefferson situation. Now, I am not at all regretting. There was the right call for the Bills at the time to trade for Stefan Diggs and give up a first-round pick. The flip side of that is, the Minnesota Vikings got Justin Jefferson on a rookie deal for four years. The other flip side is because I, I, you, you know, I hear this question a lot. Would the Bills have? Why would we think the Bills would have taken him? Right? There's that. Like that's that as a given is one thing. I mean, the Bills have not necessarily shown a willingness to take receivers high, so I don't really have much faith they would have taken Jefferson in that spot. But if they had, you know, they'd have saved money and. Maybe wouldn't be in this cap crunch right now. Maybe they would because Jefferson's about to get what, like thirty million a year. He's gonna be a big money too. Eight oh three oh five fifty. Yeah. One eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. Let me ask a question: Would you be interested in, in T Higgins if 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 you could do something like that? Like, I guess he's gonna make a lot of money. I know that, but I mean, a player like that. Um, if you found a way to keep the cap hit low, like, I mean, there, there might be a couple guys out there. Maybe we get surprised by someone that they actually go after in free agency. Yeah. I mean, I would love Higgins. I would have drafted T. Higgins when the Bills. Is that the year? Is that the Diggs year? He was the first pick of the second round, so I think that might be the right. Diggs. That might be the Diggs year. So they didn't actually ever get a look at Higgins, but I would have drafted him, liked him out of Clemson. Um, on this Bills team, I mean, he's your new number one, right? Going forward, that's the idea: is that Diggs is here until he's not, and then Higgins is young enough to take over. I just think he's a prime candidate. As we talk about franchise tag candidates today. Higgins is the most likely franchise tag player, I think, because the Bengals do have cap space. It's not a long-term commitment, and they have a team that they didn't even really get to see their their triplets together this year because of the injuries to Burrow. But one thing about Higgins that's been nice for them is that when Chase has been hurt, Higgins has picked it up and been the number one. Like it's not it's not the kind of situation where oh it's a clear number one and number two. I mean, maybe it is because Chase is so good. But when when right. Chase has been out, Higgins has been able to be a number one and would be a serviceable number one on a lot of teams. So some of your candidates for I just think right. though that organization. I mean, I know that they're they paid Burrow, but they are traditionally known for not being the most you know heavy spending organization. There was talk last year from the owner talking about well, you can't pay everybody. I don't know if they're going to – they may franchise tag him. You know what they might do? Franchise and trade him even. I don't know if they're going to put give him that kind of contract. They have to pay Jamar Chase too. Yep. 803-0550, Ken and Amherst will connect with our fans. Hey, Ken, what's up? Hi. Um, I think you should uh, at least stay at where you are and get one of the receivers. If not, maybe even trade back and get more because of – you got so many holes on your D. There is supposedly like 20 first round, I mean, 20 top 100 receivers in this draft. You could get probably two in your first two picks. Yeah, I don't disagree, Ken. 
I, how many holes do they have, Sal, on defense? <laughs> so Ken Ken brings up a good point. Somebody asked me this yesterday. What we were doing that uh, we were doing the February fixed fantasy draft. I think someone asked me this. I'm not sure. But it came from – I can't remember who it was. I, I give credit. They said, here's a good question for you, Sal. Would you rather the Bills stay where they are and draft a receiver in the first round or stay where they are, go somewhere else in the first round, and draft a receiver in the second and third? Yeah. It's a good question. What would you rather do? It's, it depends. It depends. The, 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 the issue I get to is <laughs> if you draft defense in the first round, which, of course, the Bills could do that. There's, they have holes on that side of the ball. No disputing that. You would then get to be in such a desperate spot to draft one in the second round that I would be nervous. You are late in the second round. And I know that it's a deep class, but in between the Bills' first-round pick and second-round pick, it's possible that eight receivers go in there. And then you're talking about, well, if I wait till the end of the second and draft my guy, if he falls, that's great. But I think it might even be more likely that you have to spend assets to move up to get back into a spot where you can take one. I think the run in the the first round could have as many as six or seven, and the second round I think will be enough. There'll be a separate run that'll be big on that position. But how many holes do they have on defense? Two at safety. Um. Yeah. I mean, we we think because okay. well, Mike uh, Jordan Poyer's under contract though. Right. I mean, it has not a beneficial that they have a hole there. That's right. But we think they might move on. Okay, let's say not Poyer. Yeah, One. I would say right now you need two new safeties, I think. I think okay. that's the way it's trending, but you, we don't know about Poyer yet. So two's... I want to be respectful of the fact that he's under contract. Sure, if you're going, you're rolling out the Bills' starting defense for, for week one. I've got two safeties and two defensive linemen. Is that four open, yes. jo- open jobs? Is, Am I missing yeah, anybody? Yeah, one interior guy next to Ed Oliver, but the way they rotate, I would say you're going to need two. But one definitely needs to be like a, a one a starting caliber guy. Yep. And then one another defensive end. Which could be yep. Epinesa. That's four starting jobs on the defense that are available. And on the offense, we would say there's probably one. It's Gabe Davis. Yeah, what's funny is I was thinking about this earlier. and You look at the Bills' con- contracts and who's going to be a pending free agent, who's coming back. That's right, Jeremy. The Bills have one. One starting offensive player who they might lose in free agency. Now, they could make a decision somewhere else, but everybody else is returning. And that one starting player is Gabe Davis, who isn't wide receiver one. He's wide receiver two, but he is a starter. He's the only one that's a pending free agent. That's what gets me more optimistic even about next year, thinking about they are losing nothing on offense. I mean, obviously, Gabe Davis is not not disrespecting that, but they're losing none of their main core um, starting players on offense other than maybe Gabe Davis. 803-0550. 803-0550. Thanks, Ken, for the phone call. If you want to jump into this, you can. We've got time here. Jeremy and Sal, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show, coming up with uh, Josh and Zach to follow us at the top of the hour. You want to chime in about receivers or maybe get back into the uh, quarterback conversation, Sal, because what the Bills do at backup is a good conversation and kind of fits into all of this potential how to work the cap and how to spend their assets. Quarterback's a big decision. I want to pick your brain on that and a name I heard you mention yesterday with uh, the afternoon guys, I think. 803-0550, Jeremy, Jeremy and Joe. Joe's out today. Sales in here on WGR. It's part of the game is more pressure, more pressure, and how do, how do players operate under it? And that is never going to go away. I think you've got to manage it better than the team you're playing against. Tonight, as an example, you've got to score more. I mean, you generated enough to score. 
and outscoring to win that game. So we can divide that game up 50 different ways. The fact is you had more than enough opportunity to win a game through just generating your scoring chances. But you're always, you know, teams that win Stanley Cups, they outscore their mistakes. It's not that they don't make mistakes. It's not that they don't feel pressure, turn pucks over, make poor decisions. They outscore them. Sabres head coach Don Granado. We talked to him this morning at 8 o'clock, if you want to go back and listen to it, on uh, the uh, fate of the Sabres yesterday and their loss to Anaheim. And, of course, going forward, they'll play Montreal and Columbus this week. Jeremy White and Sal Capaccio. Sal's in for Joe today. Evan DePasquale is producing. Josh Schmidt coming up with uh, Zach Jones of the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. We're talking lots about receivers. Our receiver idea of the day is uh, trading everything for Marvin Harrison Jr., and that's getting a lot more support than I kind of thought it would with it. 40% yes on Twitter. want to get into quarterback as well. Sal's doing the state of the Bills, which is the roster mm-hmm. as it is now. want to get to quarterback in a moment, but first a uh, call. Allie in Wyoming. Allie, good morning. Hey, good morning. I have been kind of debating this in my own head, and I'm curious what you guys think. I, I think a lot of folks are, you know, wanting to maybe trade back and get more uh, receivers or, you know what I mean, pick up an extra pick or move move back. And something I'm wondering is, I think there is a benefit to having a receiver in the first round because of the cost control that you get with a first round pick and like the fifth year option and all of that type of stuff. I think there is some benefit to that. And I'm just curious if that's something that you all are thinking about. um, And if you have kind of any thoughts on why it might be better to stay in the first round, given the parameters that puts on those guys and their contracts, knowing how expensive receivers get down the road. Yeah. Thanks, Allie. W- one of the things about this, so the fifth, the thing that separates the first round from the other rounds, of course, Sal, is the fifth-year option, which right. is sometimes tough to figure out what to do, and other times it's an easy, yes, we're going to do that. One thing the fifth-year option does is it keeps a salary, well, it's a, it's a, big, it's a big boost for the player. But at receiver, a fifth-year option is a good bargain if you have a good guy. And you can also pick up the fifth-year option and then just redo the deal, right? That, that's also something you can do. So it's like it's a lever that a team can use. Compare that to T. Higgins right now. T. Higgins was the first pick of the second round. What does he do? Plays four years, unrestricted free agency. So even if you are a team like the Bengals, your fifth-year option on T. Higgins is the franchise tag, which is significantly higher in terms of what that cost in the fifth-year option. So, yeah, the, the, the benefit of the first-round pick – Sal, going back to Greg Rousseau and even, uh, as Allie brings up cost control, when the Bills went Rousseau and Basham and Epinesa with first and second round picks, one of the points I thought that was fair as a why this is a good idea is because defensive end is really expensive. And if you get cheap contracts, you're, you're A, taking shots at an expensive position for cheap, and the, the bargain on that is, is tremendous. And the other position that you do that with, other than quarterback, is receiver. I kind of want to see the Bills start to treat receiver like they've treated defensive end, which is take it because it makes sense financially. It's a, it's a good investment. You save yeah. more money at receiver than most positions. I like the thought, Allie. That's right. I think that you have to consider that. It's actually why, if you go back to the draft where Lamar Jackson was drafted 32nd overall by the Ravens. I believe they moved into that spot. And if I remember right, I could be wrong in this. I think the Ravens made a point of, well, we wanted to take him there because we get an extra year. Like, you get the fifth-year option for a quarterback. 
to build into that. Like if we wait, if we we take him in at the the next pick, literally the next pick, you lose the option. You got him at thirty two. He's a first round pick. You get the option. So I do think that's right. Jeremy, do you know how the fifth year option works now and all the different parameters and what they changed? I know and that in the money and go ahead. I know that Pro Bowls are tied in. So if you make okay. the, the, one of them is how how much you play. There's an escalator on how much you play. Then there's one if you make a Pro Bowl. And then there's one if you make yes. multiple multiple Pro Bowls. That is exactly right. But what's interesting is because we're talking about it in this manner. There's actually it, it's super easy, but it's like I I still I'm like I think they made a mistake the NFL and the NFLPA doing this like come on what are we doing here with Pro Bowls like and you got to be voted in like a, this is not a fill in Pro Bowl you have to actually be on the original ballot okay so that part at least is okay but here's the deal if you make one Pro Bowl the fifth year option for you when the team picks it up by the end of your third year in May is equal to the transition tender mm. if you make multiple Pro Bowls. It's the franchise tag. That's what the number is for the fifth-year option. Now, Greg Gousseau has not made a Pro Bowl at all. Now, obviously, you'd be like, well, we'd love him to make Pro Bowls. That means he's great. But you know how much that saves the Bills? Because Greg Rousseau did not make a Pro Bowl, he is just getting the basic fifth-year option if the Bills, if and when they pick it up, which I expect them to do by you know early May. $13.7 million for his position. If he had made multiple Pro Bowls, let me find somebody. Here we go. Here's the difference between Greg Rousseau and Micah Parsons, who has made multiple Pro Bowls. His franchise, his fifth year option, Micah Parsons, twenty million dollars just for the fifth year. Where Greg Rousseau who hasn't made any, it's thirteen million dollars. Yeah. One point to that. This is back to Ali's point, though. The the while the money is the same, the timing is not because the franchise tag. When you pick up a franchise tag, when do you pick that up? You pick it up on well today, Sal, right? February twentieth. Of the offseason that the player is about to go hit the market, you have from February to, what, July to get a deal done, and it's high stakes, and I don't want to play on a on a contract where if I get hurt, I'm screwed. Whereas if you have the fifth-year option, that number, you agree to that before year four, right? You play three years, and then a team decides to pick up the fifth-year option before the player plays their fourth year. So, okay, Micah Parsons, we pick up your fifth-year option. You're, you're mm-hmm. going to make $20 million, not this year, but next year. Hey, why don't we re-sign now? Why don't we take right. a look? Like, your cap flexibility is so much better than trying to figure out, at least in one year, all right, we got to slam $20 million in, and he's upset about it. He's mad about it. So the fifth-year option, even if it does tick up all the way to the franchise tag value, you have time to – agree on an extension to work it into your books it's another advantage of of the first round pick wherever you decide to use it it's what it's it's really at the heart of why people say do not pick a running back because running backs you're not saving any money with that a franchise tag number for a running back has come down and when you pay, take a, a running back early in the draft you're paying them way too much based on the positional value yeah it's it's time. It's time bought is what you're doing, right? So Gabe Davis, the Bills have until early May. To, I'm sorry, Gabe Davis, Greg Rousseau. The Bills have until early May to pick up Greg Rousseau's fifth-year option. I expect them to do that, but you don't have to account for it until that happens. Now, it is guaranteed, but what it does, it gives them a year and a half, two years essentially, to work out a different deal. They can just basically just tear that up and give him a new deal, and he's there. He's under contract with them, which is interesting. I'll give you a real quick uh, before we go to break here. Do you know who has, who was picked Eight spots, I'm sorry, ten spots before Greg Rousseau, who has almost the exact same fifth-year 
option number. It's interesting. Kadarius Tony. <laughs> yeah. Kadarius Tony, 13.7. The Chiefs aren't going to do that. He's now on his third team, even though it's the second franchise stint with Kansas City. He went to um I'm sorry. He I'm sorry. He's on his second team, but he's he was with the uh, Giants, but he was drafted there. Now he's with the Giants. But isn't that just it's interesting when you look at the list. Like, here's a guy, Kadarius Tony, 13.7 just to keep him. Greg Rousseau. I think that's a bargain for a guy like Greg Rousseau, at comparably around the league at one of some of these other guys. How about the guy right before him? Look at the receivers. Rashad Bateman. Look at are the Ravens going to pick up Rashad Bateman at 13.7 the basic tag number? Jeremy, that's a first round receiver. That's my point on it doesn't always have to hit like that. Yeah. Although 13 for Rashad Bateman like <laughs> That's not that expensive. Unless you plan on working something out with the timing, I get it, but I would not pay him that money. Yeah. I've got all of the fifth year options for th- for this upcoming year and like looking at some of the receivers. You mentioned Tony, is there another another receiver here? Bateman, Tony, um, Devonta Smith. Okay, Devonta Smith's a good example. $15 million for him. And yep. that, that's a good value because you know what he would get on the free agent market? Probably like 18 I mean, he, he's... Same with Jalen Waddle. He's in this group. Yep, Jalen Waddle, 15 Jalen Jamar Chase, his fifth-year option right now is translating to 20 What would Chase get on the open market? 30 Mm-hmm. So some positions you save big money. Meanwhile, Kyle Pitt's fifth-year option is $10 million. Because he's made one Pro Bowl, that's half the price a tight end. And yeah. I know that, like, oh, that's cheaper. That's because the market on that position is so much cheaper. Eight hundred three hundred five. Do, do, do you want to see something wild? Go, go to number twenty-five. Twenty-five. Go to number twenty-five there. Travis Etienne, fifth-year option is for six million dollars. Six million. Yeah. For running back, that's that's where this has gone with running backs. Yeah, that's pretty. That's so low. Well, he's. He's missed his playtime incentive, and he hasn't hit a either of the Pro Bowls. But one Pro Bowl, and he's at $10 million. Like, you, right. you wouldn't want to do that with a first-round pick. All right, break time, more of your phone calls, extra point show coming up at 10. We didn't get to the quarterback conversation. We'll do that quickly in Extendo Sports. Uh, I want to ask Sal, draft pick or free agent? Right now, what looks like the better idea for the Bills at backup quarterback to uh, you know work with Josh Allen? Jeremy and Sal here on a Tuesday, a sunny Bluebird Tuesday that's uh, chilly outside. But whatever, looks really nice outside, pretty outside. Extendo Sports next. Breaking sports news airs first here. Guaranteed. WGR Sports Radio 550. 2020 Sports. Extendo Sports. All right, Sal, one of the decisions the Bills will have to make is backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. What to do behind Josh Allen. You've had your state of the quarterback with the Bills, and... Do you have a a hunch which is the better idea for the Bills? Draft one, they have 10 picks, or sign a veteran? Um, sign a veteran if it's not Kyle Allen, it's someone just like him essentially. Uh, and I think that you just your 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 late round pick is a guy already on your roster. Uh, Shane Buchel. Uh, he's already here. He's three years in. He's been with the Chiefs. He's been with the Bills. He's had good coaching along the way. And, you know, I think he could just be your practice squad guy that you don't have to waste a draft pick on. Yeah. I wonder about the draft pick. They took Jake Fromm way back when, right? And I was looking at that because... Yes, yep. but let's remember that was COVID year, and there was an inkling that teams were going to probably need extra arms in case something were to happen and right. how the rules were going to be modified. So I do want to kind of put that in the context there. Yeah. It's tough because... If you draft one, I just pulled up Fromm's contract, four years, less than $4 million. If the Bills had a crystal ball and could know, 
hey, here's a fifth-round rookie who could totally do the job if we really desperately needed him to. It is a great avenue to save cap space because, you know, like, a million a year. Instead, if you want to go the route of a veteran, depending on how expensive you want to get, like Sam Darnold, I mean, is that four to five million a year? Certain guys are going to carry a couple mil, and if you want a bargain baseman, Kyle Allen, that that's okay too. It's just even the backup quarterback position for some of the better ones. And I, I wonder if that, that market doesn't go up this year, Sal, because of how many backups had to play. right? If you're an agent of a Josh Dobbs or whoever, so many different guys went in and played that I wonder if teams get a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. in, in trying to feel good yep. about their backup quarterback. It's a it's a great point because this is what happens in the league. Like half the teams have to use their backup for even multiple games. I mean, heck, the Browns had to use four guys for multiple games each, which is incredible. But the Bills have this unicorn in Josh Allen who has the lo- by the way he has the longest starting streak of any NFL quarterback right now. It's amazing. How many people tell us every year he's going to get hurt? He's going to get hurt. I'm not you know wishing bad mojo or anything. I don't want to do that. I'm a knock on wood, but. The dude has been a, a, a tank. He does not get hurt. He starts all the time. So all of those narratives about the way he plays and getting hurt, yeah, he's had some bumps and bruises along the way. He plays. But you always have to think about the fact that anything could happen. It could just, you know, be he's a he's just a one, you know, hit away, a twisted ankle away, whatever, of missing three games. And how do you want that to play out? And if you want it to be a rookie, okay. I mean, on a rookie contract, if you want a guy on your team like that, that's fine, I should say. But now that guy's got to play, Jeremy. So I'd rather have a veteran be able to step in. The problem is that, you know, you're not going to find guys with a lot of, you know, starts and uh, you, you can't, they, they don't have the luxury to pay a guy like that. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, you have to find a guy that's got a cheap contract like a Kyle Allen. Sal Capaccio. Thank you, Sal, for um, popping in for Joe today. You got it. Extra Point Show coming up, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show. Uh, It'll be Zach and Josh taking you up till noon today. Thanks to everyone that uh, called, tweeted, listened, all that. Enjoy a uh, beautiful, chilly, but, uh, you know, sunny day in Buffalo. Cheers. Back tomorrow on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. 
baseball your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.